VOCM presents Open Line. The opinions expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the station. And now your host, Patty Daly. Well, all right, and good morning to you. Thank you so much for tuning into the program. It's Thursday, September the 15th. This is Open Line. I'm your host, Patty Daly, and uh, David Williams. He's producing the program. Let's get it going. If you're in the St. John's metro region, the number to dial to get in the queue, 273-5211. Elsewhere, it's toll-free long distance, 1-888-590-VOCM, which is 8626. So I don't know if it's just me. I should have bounced this off Dave before he went live here this morning. It seems to me the amount of bug activity is unbelievable. So between the flies and the mosquitoes and the unbelievable number of daddy long legs and moths and millers and snails and slugs and grubs, I mean, my property, I don't know about yours, but, and uh, maybe it's just getting on my nerves because I chased around a couple of mosquitoes in my kitchen last night for a little while, but it seems to me there's an awful lot of that type of activity out there. Uh, This is a cute story, so I'm going to give it a little shout out because it's also in the world of bug-related activity. Did you see the pictures and an interview had uh, between, the, it was in this case, CBC, and Leslie Lake? He's out in Clarenville, and he's grown this giant pumpkin. <laughs> Have you seen the pictures? They're calling it Gordzilla. 650 pounds, three and a half feet high, circumference of 10 feet, 8 inches. It occupies four to 500 square feet in his yard. And, of course, lots of critters would be going after Gordzilla, slugs and grubs, caterpillars, birds, and other creatures. The torrential rainfall uh, costs some damage to Gordzilla, some four-inch split, and he says quite clearly that, you know, with all of these 550 square feet of roots taking in all that water, the pumpkin, the fruit, is bound to explode. Now, he says he can cure it and fix the split with some peroxide, but growing up a 650-pound Gordzilla pumpkin, I wonder what the size will be come Halloween, and then the next question will be, then what, for this particular thing? All right, uh, congratulations uh, to two entities here, the Newfoundland Growlers and one of their assistant captains, Todd Scarving. They've re-signed him on a standard player contract, so he's coming back for the 2022-2023 ECHL season. A couple of things about Todd. Last year, he had a career season. He put in 20 goal, 21 goals, 20 assists, 41 points. That's his new career high in goals, assists, and points in the process. He's from Thunder Bay, Ontario. Sixth all-time games played with the Growlers. Eighth in points. He member the 2029 or 2019 Kelly Cup Championship team. They've also announced the creation of what's called Todd's Teammates. New community outreach program, and Todd's really well known for that. I mean, I think back to what people call Snowmageddon. He was out on the Shovel Brigade, right? Local pro hockey player. So anyway, Todd's teammates is going to be great stuff. So what they're going to do is recognize, reward good deeds and positivity from youth in the community. So all school-age children are eligible. If you are recognized, you're going to get a couple of tickets to a home game. And so Todd is just building what he's already established here in the city. So congratulations to Mr. Skirving and to the Growlers. They open up the regular season on the 21st of October at Mary Brown Center, taking on the Reading Royals. Good for Todd. Good kid. Good hockey player. All right. Uh, what else we got here? Oh, a couple of todays. So there's some things, like when you go to blow your nose, regardless of the name, brand, or the product you have, people call it a Kleenex. So some things have become synonymous, even with their rival products. Same thing, I think, goes for Google. It's now just whatever you search or research, go Google it. We saw for the first time in history, 1998, Google.com on the Internet. So the two founders, Larry Page and Sergey Brin, they came up with this wild name when they were PhD students at Stanford University. So from 1998 to now... 
the value of Google, which through a restructuring is now uh, Alphabet Inc., it has $1.38 trillion in market capitalization. $1.38 trillion, just to go to show maybe not as much reality associated with the stock market as we are led to believe. This is a good one. Uh, born today in 1890, so 132 years ago, Agatha Christie was born. Of course, best known for her 66 detective novels, 14 short story collections. She was, of course, nicknamed the Queen of Crime. She's a British author. So think of some of the masterpieces. Murder on the Orient Express. And then there were none. The Mousetrap, which is also the world's longest running play. So Agatha Christie born, and I've, I've read many of those books. Agatha Christie born today in 1890. Also going to use this one as a little segue. It was today for the first time in 1997 that the Irish Republican Army allied Sinn Féin entered into Northern Ireland's peace talks for the very first time. And then fast-track it to what I think is an indelible image, Queen Elizabeth II shaking the hand of former IRA commander Martin McGuinness. And that happened up in Lyric Castle in Belfast back in 2012. So that's used to move on into the conversation surrounding the holiday. Okay. I had a problem with the holiday. So Monday, September 19th, will be a day of mourning, and many people will indeed get the holiday. On the federal level, federal government employees. And they tried to work with the provinces to see if it would become a national day, a national holiday. In this province, you know the deal. So government offices are closed. Schools are closed. There's some confusion about what it means for medical appointments. This one lady tells me that she had a medical appointment at Family Medicine at the Health Sciences Center. And because that has a distinct uh, direct overlap with Mons Medical School, they're postponing appointments. But we're told, other than that, across the board, your appointment will continue as scheduled. So that's some of the confusion that people are dealing with. Also, it's some daycare operators are going to close. So while we know that this late-in-the-day announcement of a holiday leaves some families in a lurch because coming up with childcare is simply not easy. You know, we can talk about affordability in early childhood educators, and we will. But now with some daycare operators closing, and they're clear to say that they're doing it to support their employees. They already have a hard time retaining the early childhood educators and their support staff at the daycare uh, operations, so it might further complicate what is already going to be a problem for some. But if you want to take on the holidays, absolutely fine. We can still talk about the Queen and what she's meant to so many people. And, of course, it's not all up. Some of it's down. Now, they're returning to the House of Commons today for some of the official offers of condolences that we've seen in parliaments in different parts of the world. That's one thing. Oh, let me get back to daycare. So we're on the pathway to $10 a day, which I think makes all the sense in the world. I don't have small children. This is not a direct benefit to me necessarily, but it's an indirect benefit to me because we have understood quite clearly what it means for accessible, affordable daycare and early childhood education. One of the key components of it is training and required pay for early childhood educators. We're putting our children in their hands, not only for their safety and their health and protection, but it's also for dealing with and attending to their formative brains. So much learning is already achieved by the time you're five years old. Early childhood education just makes sense, as does the pre-K program, if you ask me. So we'll throw that into the pile. And now back to the House of Commons. So we know that they're going to sit today. They were scheduled to go back in full on Monday the 19th of September. That will now, of course, be on Tuesday the 20th. But when they adjourned in June of this year and scheduled to come back this month, 
they at that time also voted to keep going with the hybrid system of parliament right through 2023. Now, many businesses still have their employees potentially working from home or remote locations. If you can be productive and effective and hit all your targets or milestones, I don't really see the downside. There's a lot of upside. Some people like working at home. It's not for me. I love the separation of my home from my workplace, just for my own mental quality of life. But the hybrid system, a lot of people jumping on it. Now, I'll just pose this in the form of a question. If the people's business can't be attended to in the hybrid model, what is the downside? Or is it the reference to the hypocrisy of reopening everything and very little public health measures in place at this moment in time, and yet parliamentarians won't be back in their seats, their assigned seats, in Parliament next Tuesday? I wonder what you think about it, and we can talk about it if you are so inclined. And we do know that the announcement that was coming on dental care, GST, and the Canada Housing Benefit has now happened. It was derailed, or pardon me, it was postponed uh, upon the Queen's passing. There's, there's a lot of already controversy. Now, if you sit 10 economists in a room and put one problem in front of them or one policy in front of them, you're likely to come up with 7 to 10 different opinions. That's just nature of the beast. So when it comes to attention for dental care for children 12 and under who don't have access to a dental insurance, in this province, I don't think it means a whole, whole lot because we already have a pretty good plan for children under the age of 12. The concept is to expand it for those 18 plus by next year and then full implementation years after. Okay. Then it's the bump of the GST. So the DS GST tax credit is simply going to be doubled for six months. And here's what it means for the 11 million uh, Canadians who will get this bump in their GST. Singles without children, another $234. Uh, couples with children get another $467. Seniors can expect a boost uh, in and around $225 per hour. And the housing benefit is for low-income renters. It's a one-time $500 uh, subsidy or check. That's going to impact some 1.8 million Canadians. Here's the rub is that we know there's been all sorts of debate about what is causing inflation. Depends on which party you support as to where you put your focus. When, of course, I'm not smart enough to know about all the implications surrounding what we do find ourselves in with cost of living pressures and inflationary pressures, but I think it's probably a combination of some of the go-to places where people point. And some of it is absolutely caused by global supply chain. If it wasn't the case, then we wouldn't see inflation running away in many modernized countries. Central banks have got it wrong. Fair. But with this money injected into the economy, you know, I see a lot of references. People will send me tweets that say that one economist at one bank or another said we're simply exacerbating the inflation problem because more money chasing fewer goods is indeed a contributing factor to inflation. But are we in the demand or the supply side concerned? We, you know, where's the hyper-focus need to be? So economists will also agree, generally speaking, that any of these types of policies, it'll take a couple of years before we see what it really means for inflation. You know, more money in people's hands is a good thing when they're struggling, because just think about the other side of the coin. For affordability issues, you either have more money or things cost less. What levers do provincial governments and the federal government have to really legitimately control or to lower the price of goods? While people are yelling from the treetops about communism and socialism and the like, how do we expect governments to control prices on the goods that we rely on day in and day out? It's much easier to give people money than it is to control prices. And we don't really want government in the business. Unless it's a federally regulated industry or product, having them directly involved in pricing is exactly what a lot of people don't want. 
right? So you can't have it both ways. You can't be yelling communism all the time and then expect them to control prices and the end state of production. So what do we do here? Factor in this particular inflation package, which is the only reason why the NDP are going to continue to support the Liberals till 2025, it's referred to as the Liberals buying votes. You know what? Probably. But they're not buying your vote. They're buying the NDP's vote. If the next election is not until 2025, this particular pot of money will be long forgotten. So you're right. They're buying the NDP support. That's basically what it sounds like. Certainly what it feels like. So... Anyway, let's put that into the field, into the, uh, the mix. And so if it costs in and around $3 billion for these one-time packages, what impact does that have on inflation? Well, we have to put some context out there. The annual GDP of Canada is around $1.6 or $1.7 trillion American. $1.6 to $1.7 trillion with a T dollars in American dollars. For some reason, that's how uh, many countries in the G7 use because of the American dollar, the greenback being the benchmark. So is it really that big a deal? Three billion in the inflationary world in an annual GDP of trillions? I don't know. I'll put it out there just for context to see if we can round up the conversation. You want to take it on? And what you think of the plan for, against, it's up to you. Let us know on the telephone. All right. And this story here, this must irk so many people, especially if you've been victimized by the Phoenix pay system. We know <coughs> that it has been a boondoggle, right? It has, been, has seen federal employees underpaid, overpaid, not paid at all. It's still persisting. The problems still exist. It has not been fixed in full. But yet, the compensation package for federal employees that were negatively impacted by Phoenix, that's long lapsed. And it was pretty meager anyway. So the issue between 2016 and 2020, and 2020 is when the program uh, ceased to exist, severe hardship payments maxed out at $1,500. General compensation would be around $2,500, depending on the circumstance. So... It's still going on. Compensation has gone on. Just use those numbers, 1,500 and 2,500. There have been people who have lost their homes, had to take out multiple jobs to, make their bill, to pay the bills, declared bankruptcy, and yet that was the money offered through no fault of their own. So I'm not all about printing money, spending money, throwing money around, but these are people that are working and are deserving their pay, an accurate pay at that, not under or over. Not all the tax implications that come with it. Not the racking up their credit cards. Not losing their home. Not declaring bankruptcy. So it keeps going at the Phoenix pay system. And I think there's a couple of people in this province. One guy in particular, he used to be a victim of it. I don't know if it's been rectified for him. I won't throw his name out there. But it continues, apparently. Okay. Good job to the RNC and the general public. There has been two arrests made in these home invasions. One person at large, and, you know, Constable James Cadigan saying that the public has been a great help here, and we hope, they hope that we will continue to be exactly that. Let's get them. These home invasions are, these are a big deal because it's not just those folks. You know, in the east end of town where these took place, I, like even speaking with my neighbors, some of them were a little bit shook up and thinking, what is going on here? And of course, it could happen anywhere in the city. It could happen anywhere in the province. So these two arrests have been made. A lot of people, when they saw them first appear in court, were saying, ah, oh, they'll be out by supper time. They've been remanded till their next court appearance, which comes up in a couple of weeks. 
and we'll see what becomes of them. They're facing pretty serious charges, break and enter, assault, robbery, uttering threats, uh, of course, and the standard. One of the buckos is uh, facing four counts of breaching release orders, fraud, possession of property obtained by crime, aggravated assault, assault with a weapon, very serious stuff. We'll see what becomes of them, and hopefully that third criminal can be rounded up, the alleged criminal can be rounded up by the RNC to suit. But what do we, like, what is this trickle effect mean? What is the ripple effect? What is the fallout for you when you hear these types of stories? And, of course, you know, buddy with the breach, four breach uh, of release orders, you know, standard operations, throwing the double bird at the media and with the teardrop tattoo and all the rest of it. So, anyway, good job to the RNC for rounding those lads up. And let's get the other guy. I'm going to go back to this story because I think it speaks to a bigger issue in the province regarding the quest for healthcare workers. It's the doctor on Fogo Island saga. Dr. Paul Hart went to Munns Med School in 1973, graduated from, moved back to Ontario, consequently moved down to Massachusetts to practice in Boston where he did for some 50 years. He offered free services for three months. He'll cover his travel, his cost of living, and perform his duties as a family doctor on Fogo Island until the regional health authority and whoever else involved can find one. And, of course, the application fee for $780, he said he was unwilling to do it because it was just throwing money away because the, the application was going to inevitably be rejected based on some parameters put forward by the College of Physicians and Surgeons. So to the government's uh, credit, the department, they're going to pick up the fee to try to work with Dr. Paul Hart to bring him to Fogo Island, but it looks like it's going to be lost. The college says that you need to have served at least 120 days within the last three years leading up to the date of your application for a medical license. This particular doctor, Dr. Hart, has not been actively in his clinic seeing patients face-to-face. He's been doing what we've been encouraged to take advantage of, and that's virtual care or telemedicine. Again, I know the world changes quickly, and especially in the last two and a half years. But if we are going to be told that virtual care will be part of our day-to-day interaction with the healthcare system, possibly, then how can it not be included in your application as an active, practicing, veteran doctor who graduated from Memorial University and practiced in Boston for 50 years? So getting with the times, I don't know the people at the College of Physicians and Surgeons. Everybody knows we need doctors to be up to standards. Well, of course we do, which brings upon the question of uh, national standards and trying to hope that we can get newcomers to Canada who are healthcare professionals accredited and help them with learning English as a second language to get into the fold. You know it's all going to be part of the solution. So this is not to besmirch the college, but they've got to get with the times. These are the people who are telling us about virtual care, right? This is, their members are offering it to us. So how can it not be part of their licensing review? They say they're going to have a look at it. But let's hope we don't lose that opportunity for a doctor who's willing to do it for free. And even if three months come and go and there's no doctor on Fogo Island, he'll stay. So that one there, of course, is going to be a bit of a frustration for many. And on that front, we talk about this all the time, but we have to continue to talk about it. It's for whether it be the LPNs or nurse practitioners, social workers, pharmacists, whoever is working in the healthcare field. Let's let them do what they need to do based on their training, their licensing, and their accreditation. This is from a pharmacist who I will leave out. 
she says, maybe finally allowing expanded pharmacists prescribing, allowing us to order blood work to manage chronic medical conditions. She goes on to say, it's required for monitoring. This person has no family doctor, one of her clients. No family doctor. I gave her a copy of my recommendation, advised her to call 811, call back to the clinic, check on the wait list, try Medicura, which is virtual care, but this pharmacist can't do anything. Despite her experience, her knowledge of the drug, and willingness to help. So she now feels hopeless and useless again, and the patient, I imagine, feels the exact same way. I know there's territorial issues inside of every industry and walk of life, but let's see if we can break down some of those barriers for our collective best interests. So if you're trained to do something, let's let you do it. If you're trained to do it and you can handle a patient based on their needs and your license and you can bill MCP, let's do it. You know, these are some of the short-term solutions. Health Accord and their 10-year plan, all important, and that transformation is absolutely required. But if we're talking about short-term solutions, adding more money to the potential of rural family doctors, helpful. But if we have professionals who are already working for us, they're here, they're set up, and they're not able to do what they're trained to do, that's got to be part of the solution. It just has to be. I mean, I anyway. And the COVID numbers are out. Seems to be some control on hospitalizations and stuff. It's up very slightly in the hospitalization world. Nobody's in critical care, which is really quite good news. There has been two additional COVID-related deaths. There are discussions around uh, expanding the potential for a booster for the people ages five and up. Uh, condolences to those who have passed and wish you speedy recovery. If you are one of those in the hospital or anyone who's got the COVID, um, I know more people who got it in the last three months than I did almost throughout the, inter- the entirety of it. And, you know, Dr. Fitzgerald talking about being back in in close spaces more and more, that the summer months are almost behind us and what that might mean. I don't know what it's going to mean. I guess we'll all find out in time. But those numbers are for your information. We're on Twitter. We're VOCM Open Line. Follow us there. Our email address is openlineofvocm.com. When we come back, Reg wants to talk about gas. All the price of fuels down very slightly. Trevor wants to talk about mackerel, and then we're going to make a wish. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Let's go. Top of the board, line number one. Good morning, Reg. You're on the air. Good morning, Patty Daly. How are you getting on? I'm doing very well. Thanks. How about you? Oh, pretty good, my son. Listen, Patty, I'm I, I just wondering, my son, uh, what's going on with the gas? What is it they don't understand about the price going up, the price going down? Uh, I've been, uh, you know, I just do MTV News, uh, and pretty well regular. It's getting mm-hmm. to the point now, I don't know if I'm even going to bother, because, uh, you know, you get the price of gas, and... Now, last night, for argument's sake, now, this has been going on for a while, not only last night, I mean, I heard him, I forget his last name, McKay, whatever, uh, and he, he said that, now, his prediction, or he said George's numbers, to keep using that, uh, God, God love him anyway, but anyway, he said he, he was looking at uh, somewhere around 3.9, give or take. Now, uh, I looked at it and I said, well, he's saying 3.9. Now, you might get up more money. It might be gone up uh, five or six cents. Now, I was coming to St. John's today, so I took my truck. I went on down. I fell her up $180 or whatever scenario may be. I can't remember for sure. Uh, and I get up this morning and I turn on the news, and one of your uh, uh, reporters was interviewing Dan. And, uh, you know, gas went down two cents. I mean, now... It seems like he's blaming it on the PUB. Somebody can't get their facts straight or whatever the uh, case may be. You know, Patty, uh, I don't understand why after all this time, I mean, they're giving the forecast and the price of gas. I mean, when I got down there last night, there was people there. 
I mean, there's people, fishermen and what have you, likes to take advantage of the price of gas, which everybody do, not only the fishermen. You've got people on moose hunting now, especially, and filling up jerry cans to go away. You know, we're all trying to save a buck here and there with the price of everything gone out of whack and, you know, the economy the way it is. And you fill up your jerry cans, you get ready to go away, and then you get something next morning. Now, listen, I know two cents is not a big deal, or 3.9 is not a big deal, but, you know, we're paying to the nose for everything. You can't go in the store now and look at it. That's all you can do is pretty well look, the average person. You get a lot of exercise. One thing the government done for us, walk around and look around because you can't afford to buy nothing. But, I mean, uh, I, I just don't understand the philosophy, what, what's going on when they can't. Uh, I think it's time that they try to get it down pat, or can't they get together and try to uh, talk this over and say, well, I make a prediction uh, in the night, and then the next morning you guys uh, make a prediction, and it's all totally wrong. Well, okay, the first question I asked, what's going on? I don't know. No. I don't know. So, and there's two different things here. One is a prediction, one is the group that actually gets to set the price, and that's at the yeah. PUB for the Petroleum Price Setting Panel. So, yeah. Mr. McTeague, I don't know if he knows it all or doesn't know it. Like, I just don't know, but I, all I know and all I care about is what I pay at the pump. Yeah. He says that the PUB uses a formula much different than what he and other provinces are using. Now, there's yeah. arguments between regulated and non-regulated prices of fuels, but he also, if I remember correctly this morning, was uh, through the corner of my year, I'll call it. I think he also said that inevitably prices are going up. We might even see the interruption formula used again, maybe even tomorrow in this yeah. province. That's why it's been dizzying. It's been mind-boggling to try to follow along. I'm like you. If I hear the price is going way up, I'm going to go get some gas. If I hear it's going way down, I'll wait. But I don't know. I don't know anymore either, to be honest with you, Reg. Like I got gas the other day. It was buck sixty-six. I think I paid for it. Now it's a couple of cents less where I live. Would I like to say those couple of cents? Sure. Uh, do I I follow along as closely as I used to? No, because it's so highly unpredictable that it's almost anybody's guess. Yeah, well, this is the thing, you know, uh, Pat, like I said, I mean, uh, last night, now, I mean, if I was only going to put in 30 or $40 or 50 bucks like I usually do, it wouldn't have made a big deal, but I was coming to town, and my truck is not easy on gas, and, uh, you know, a couple hundred bucks, well, you save a few dollars, and nothing to get excited about now, but, I mean, then uh, you get up the next morning, and and, he's, and expecting it to be gone up 3.9 or whatever, and, and guess what? It went down two cents. Well, if I know that, I wouldn't have had it went down last night. I would wait till this morning because we're not coming in till noon hour anyway. Yeah, like you would. Where are you coming in uh, from? Pardon? Where are you coming in from? I'm out near Rave. I'm out of the bay. Okay, very good. Out in the gamble area, I call it. So. Yeah, no, fair enough. <laughs> you know, we were told the minister responsible for the PUB is Sarah Studley, and they were going to explain to us how they arrived at the price. Yeah. And as I saw a wise man say, just because we know how you got there doesn't make it taste or feel any better when we go to fuel up. So they look at what is the daily benchmark price, which is all set in American dollars. Then you have to convert American dollars to Canadian dollars. You have to convert gallons to liters. Then you got to go with looking at the numbers coming from something called Platts U.S. Market Scan, which generally just oversees the U.S. market, but we use their benchmarks and we just do the, trans, uh, the translation from gallons to liters and dollars to dollars. So that's, I guess, it, but I don't know any more about it. Even though they explained that much to me, I have no more understanding of it than I did prior to reading the so-called explanation. So I guess we're all in a very similar boat here with trying to figure it out. 
Like I said, Patty, I can't get a handle on it. I mean, nope. I try my best to understand it, and it seems like, uh, you know, I put two and two together, and I come up with five instead of four. So I, I don't know. It's a bit mind-bottling, but I hope they try to get there. Or leave it alone. Probably not even bother to announce it on Wednesday. Just let it be. You know, it is what it is sort of a deal. But anyway, something else. Not very... Uh, that you go on, not a very good time to be a senior, according to the news I've been listening to. My God, it's a bit scary, and if Eddie was happening there in, in just a little province, I mean, people breaking in and just robbing lies, and uh, oh my God, uh, robbing people, and not only seniors, I guess, or uh, the public in general, it's a pretty scary outlook. Well, it, it certainly can be, Reg. I'm not going to argue that point at all. I guarantee you there was a bunch of folks in this city, and I guess maybe it was felt around the province, that when these home invasions were happening and then the RNC say lock your doors and don't answer it if you don't know the person or you're not expecting a person or a package just lock the door and keep everyone out that makes people unsettled it just does it shook me a bit there's a lot of traumatization you know Patty I mean it's not a good thing I mean uh, when you gotta lock your doors or you're scared to open the door or whatever that's that's uh, that's pretty serious but anyway my son that's all I got to say this morning and uh, nice talking to you and uh, I'll give you a thing some other time when I get a chance and, and we'll discuss something else I guess I look forward to it Reg have a safe run in today okay my son thank you all have the best fun. okay yeah. bye bye will I get another one David or do you want me to yeah let's see let's get one of these let's go to line four Bill you're on the air hey, good morning Mr. Daly how are you this morning couldn't be better how about you Good. I'd like to throw out a bouquet of roses to the people at 2 Northeast at Pleasant View Towers, please. Let's, let's hear it. Yeah, my wife was there for a little over a year, and she passed away at her last week. But believe me, Patty, the workers there, they were excellent with her, excellent. You couldn't ask for no bunch of better people on 2 Northeast. So I'd like to throw out a bowl of flowers to them. Uh, right off the bat, I'm really pleased to hear that uh, your wife was well cared for at Pleasant View Towers, um, and my deepest condolences on your loss. Thank you. Regardless of age or what have you, it's never easy, obviously, sir. What was your wife's name? Uh, her name was Mary, but they called her Ida all the time, right? Is that right? Why Why is that? Pardon? Why, why did they call her Edith? Because for the last last years of her life, her name was Eda, but her oh, birth is given as said Mary. Oh, so we all knew her as Eda, right? Eda, interesting. Yeah. How old was Eda? Pardon? How old was she? She was 82, Betty. She was there for a little over a year, and last week she had a stroke and she passed away. And I believe me, Betty, there was nothing in the world that they didn't do for me and make her comfortable. I really, really respect them for what they do. I'm sure they're really pleased. Through your grief, the willingness and the want to thank them for what they did, I think is, uh, is it's admirable. Uh, how long were you married? Uh, well, we've been going together since 1984. Okay, very good. We got married in 2013. Oh, good Even the janitors, now when they were going by, they used to come in and see how she was now I was doing and want to know if there was anything they could do for me. They bought me in coffee. They bought me in a bed for lie down with her. They bought me in meals when you were going around with them and everything. I couldn't ask for any better bunch of people at 2 Northeast. 
Bill, I'm, I'm pleased that you called today. I wish you and your family nothing but the very best and extend our condolences on behalf of everyone here to your aforementioned, your friends, your entire family. I appreciate your time, sir. Whenever you're looking for a chat, want to talk about some of the issues of the day, give us another call. Thank you, Patty, very much. And you have a nice day. You too, sir. Take good Thank care. Thank you. Bye. All right, bye-bye. Oh, boy. There you go. Uh, uh, let's go ahead and take a break. When we come back, Tra- uh, Trevor, appreciate your patience. We're talking mackerel. Don't go away. Weekdays on VOCM. It's Open Line with your host, Patty Daly. Join the conversation each morning from 9 a.m. to noon on your VOCM. We get people talking. Back to the show. Let's go. Line three, Trevor, you're on the air. Uh, good morning, Patty. Morning to you. I uh, just want to talk about mackerel for a few minutes. If, uh just that we got a large volume of fish in our water, probably the largest biomass we've ever seen, or I've ever seen in my lifetime. I've been at this for 32 years, and uh, here we are with a moratorium on this on this species of mackerel. And uh, I mean, back in 2005, when we were landing 40, 50,000 ton patty of mackerel, uh, there was no fish in our waters compared to what's in our waters today around Newfoundland and parts of Labrador. So and it's just so frustrating. For years, uh, last I'd say seven or eight years, we've been arguing with science that their science is incorrect. It's not uh, measuring the biomass of the macro properly, and yet uh, it's been falling on deaf ears. They haven't uh, made any changes to the way they do science. It doesn't matter. They haven't made no. Uh, haven't made us feel like they're even trying to do anything. It just seems like they're just satisfied to keep doing it the way they've been doing it for the last fifty years. Uh, and given the fact uh, it's a migratory fish and uh, changes in environment, uh, science has not made any adaptation to take in account for those changes. You know what's happening in our ecosystem, and uh, I mean, our federal government has uh, decided to be setting tax or quotas based upon science, and that's fine. I'm all for science and anything we can learn from fish and patterns and growth and anything we can do to uh, uh, protect stocks when it's in trouble, I'm all for it, Patty. But uh, science uh, needs to be accurate before you start making uh, setting tax based upon the science. And it's far from accurate what's happening with mackerel. Uh, they do a larval survey in the southern Gulf. It may, might be accurate for what's going on in the southern Gulf. I can't speak for that. It's not my area. But I certainly know what's going on in Newfoundland and Labrador. And it's not even close to accurate what's happening in our waters. Our fish does not come out of the Gulf. If all the fish that's around Newfoundland come down to the Gulf, the Strait of Belle have been choked up for months. That's just how much fish is around. I say there's no other species with any larger volume in our waters right now than mackerel. Not one species out there that can compare to the volume. And here we are on a moratorium with not a pound to pitch. I think Minister Murray needs to say, okay, we made a mistake. We don't understand what's going on uh, with this mackerel. We're not sure where it's coming from, whatever, but we recognize there's a large volume and give us something to fish. Because I've been fishing this all my life. And to be tied on with this much fish in our water, Patty, is just so frustrating. Of course it is. So a couple of quick comments for me, and you're the you're the macro fisherman, so you know more about it than I do, obviously. 
So you mentioned science. Well, you got to do science to trust science. They haven't done science on mackerel for a couple of years for our the, the species off of our coast. Then you add in, you know, they had the uh, their research vessels had problems with mechanical issues and couldn't get replacement parts and all that. But that doesn't help you or anyone else or Brad Rideout or anyone else who's out there catching the mackerel. Then what I think is even further complicating here, just from my perspective, is if there's been a direct relationship between the quota afforded to American fishermen on their northeast coast would be the exact same as the fishermen here. They're fishing it. We are fishing zero. They're fishing the exact same quota they expected this year, and here we are. I've seen pictures from the sky, from drones. You can see mackerel on the water. I mean, it's bubbling. It's bubbling over like a cauldron. There's fish out there. The Americans are fishing it. We're not fishing any. There's something just patently wrong there. It just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make no sense at all, Patty. And I listen. The scientists, I'm sure, are doing the best they can with what they got to work with. I'm not downing the scientists. I'm downing our federal government for not putting the money there that they need to put there to do the proper high quality science before you decide to set a tax based upon science. And if you can't do that, then don't use science for the set tax. Use the observations of fish harvesters and the public and, and in, in some relation to science as well, sure. But, I mean, please put the money there and do the work. Like, find out where our macro is coming from. It's certainly not coming all of the southern Gulf, not at all. It's coming from the east and north. I thought was the bit, I dare say it's coming across from Iceland and Greenland and where not, because it's not that far for a macro to swim. So, you know... And they're going to be moving further north anyway. I mean, this, the whole issue with the migratory species and the warming temperatures of the water, more and more what have been off the coast of the United States is going to end up in our more northerly waters. It's just true. It's just what science even tells you. Uh, Trevor, I appreciate the time and your thoughts on it this morning. Anything else you'd like to say? No, I just uh, like, you know, for the minister to, to uh, step back and, and take a good hard look at this and say, like, we got to do something for these fish harvesters. We did it. We made a mistake. We don't understand what's going on. I think don't think that's a big deal for the minister to do. I mean, we all make mistakes. I'm, I'm sure science can recognize. And I've heard them say, because I attend the AMAC meetings, that they say, we really don't understand what's going on in Northeast Coast Newfoundland. So if you don't understand and you know this large volume of fish is here, all in your range and say we made a mistake and look, give us some time. Thank you, Patty. Appreciate this, Trevor. Good luck. Thank you. All right, bye bye. Uh, let's keep going. Line number two, Dean. You're on the air. Uh, good morning, Patty. And how are you? I'm doing very well, Mr. Ingram. How about yourself? I'm doing well. Uh, first of all, thanks for taking my call, and I'm calling with regards to the Make a Wish Foundation, an initiative that I'm involved with. Um, just to give some of the background, room for me, and I think we all agree with this that. Childhood friends, they're ones that you value forever. And for me, I grew up in a small community in the province, that being Arnoldsville. And when you grow up in a small community, we'll all have at least those that are of a similar vintage, we'll say, but have a common group of friends. Uh, one of my childhood friends recently pointed out to me that, yeah, life happens and people do separate. We scatter to the wind, leaving high school, as it was the case in the mid-late 80s. But you know that you got a good friend when you come in contact with her, say how much time passed and you're able to pick up just where you left off. For me, that was the case with a friend of mine that regrettably passed this summer, that being Dwayne Peach, his name is. Now, many people that knew Dwayne are wearing a lot of thoughts or heads, myself included. There's a gamut that I've been running through. And it's caused me personally to reflect on a lot of things, including some of my own habits, questioning whether I did enough to stay in contact with those childhood friends. What have I done with regards to my health? So to that end, I decided to take a number of steps to improve my health. 
I'm going to be running my first tele, hopefully not the last tele 10 this coming October. And what I've decided to do is I've decided to try and keep Dwayne in my memory and others by dedicating him. And as part of this, I'm hoping to raise some funds for a cause that was near and dear to Dwayne's late grandmother, late Jesse Wareham, who lived in excess of 100 years, by the way, and his mother, Florence Peach, and that being the Make-A-Wish Newfoundland Labrador Foundation. And to give you an idea of the spirit that uh, Dwayne had, I think it's I can provide an anecdote regarding Dwayne's uh, late grandmother. She was in her 80s now, and there was a family function where all attendance, and she decided that she needed to leave. When she was asked why she needed to leave, she needed to go home to make sandwiches for, as she put it, for the seniors. Now, this one was in her mid-80s at the time. And when you say, well, Jesse, what are you? I said, well, yeah, but they're old. I mean, that spirit of giving was something that was in Jesse. It was certainly in Dwayne. It's certainly in his mother, Florence. For me, why this cause? Well, it's one that fits with Dwayne and how I and a lot of others would like to remember. fact is, Dwayne was born with a congenital heart condition that undoubtedly would have made him a very strong candidate for a wish from the Make-A-Wish Foundation at the time, Children's Wish Foundation, formerly known. Yeah, Dwayne lived large, but he absolutely lived true. And while he might have been born with a biologically faulty heart, he had one that was anything but. Uh, for me, sorry, apologies. Oh, no, no need to apologize to me. Uh, listen, good on you, good on your friend and the memory you're trying to celebrate. Uh, look, Make-A-Wish is something that I've been involved with for quite a long time. They do really important work. And, you know, it's not just about the terminally ill child. It's their entire family. It's one of those maybe last opportunities to have that time together with a smile on your face. And some of the notables, you know, like a trip to Disney or go to the Daytona 500 or see the Jays or whatever it is that they pick. Every wish costs about $10,000. But that, that was the number that it used to cost. It's probably grown since then. So whenever people put effort into, whether it be to commemorate a friend of theirs and their life and legacy and or simply out of the goodness of their heart, make a wish is a great uh, spot to start and good on you for doing it through in the form of the tele 10 so how are, are you planning on raising money with your efforts to make that run from octagon pond to bannerman park or how is it going to work or are you simply using this as a way to celebrate someone well there's money fundraising there is i've got a couple of uh, social media posts but they're on my twitter feed dean underscore ingram and certainly my own personal facebook page where people can feel free to visit but perhaps the easiest way for people to make a donation to our necessary into Facebook or Twitter, if you simply go to makeawish.ca, that's makeawish.ca, and click the donate button, the option will be there to make a donation. I'm hoping in Dwayne's memory. Uh, it's such a very worthwhile cause. I mean, for me as an educator for 30 years, we see children. That's why you get an education, because you want to see children succeed. And for those children who are granted wishes, if nothing else, it may give them, a, them and their families at least a brief reprieve from the stresses that their family is undertaking when they do have a child with a very critical illness. And I do hope people see fit to donate for this worthwhile cause. And for me, it's a way of me uh, keeping Dwayne in my thoughts. And I'll be running with a T-shirt commemorating that. Um, as I, I won't say running because what I do might be an insult to call it running, maybe more plotting, but we'll leave it at that. Well, I mean, I did it too. It's, uh, it's a long one, and I couldn't run the entirety of the course, and I don't think anyone should be ashamed of that. Taking it on the way you are, I think, is admirable, and, and so good for you. Do you train to run? Like, Is this something that you've always been doing, jogging or running or what have you? Uh, well, again, over the past 20 years, you know, I had a bout with uh, my own health concerns about 20 years, and I basically got out of the cycle. So I've been taking the past 15 or 20 years trying to get back in some semblance of uh, fitness. And for the past year since I left my former position, I've taken them out to try and do something about my own personal health. And 
this seemed to be a natural link for me trying to tie it together and paying tribute to a long a lost childhood friend cool uh, listen good on you Dean and I appreciate making time for the program last time we spoke I think you were probably saying your goodbyes as the president of the NLTA and now in retirement you got time to do these types of important life milestones so good on you it's nice to speak with you thanks for the call yeah. Thank you. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, Harvey's here to talk GST. And then we talk a lot about mental health, awareness programs, stigma, and the like. The tickle swim in an effort to spread awareness about mental health. Sheila, Will- uh, Sheila, uh, Sheila Williams. Sheila Leary's in the queue, and Harvey wants to talk GST. Don't go away. Uh, welcome back to the show. Let's go to five. Harvey, you're on the air. Good morning, sir. How are you this morning? Couldn't be better. How are you doing? Well, I'm number first, my son. Any better than this? Any better than just be too good, petty boy? <laughs> we can always be better. What's on your mind uh, this morning, Harvey? Uh, I was counting uh, the GS team, my son. I saw your bug you did about that all the time. But, no, I don't care. Uh, I was, what, I was wondering what time uh, do you probably you do, and probably you don't. What time does that company in effect, like the top up for the GST? Well, what the government has said. So, for a, a senior, I believe you're a senior, you can expect a two hundred twenty-five dollar boost. They didn't give a specific date, like what the October check or the January check. They said that it would be before the end of the year. That's all they said. Okay, so I'll get what two twenty-five. Yeah, that's the that's the proposal. So the, what I'm getting now is five hundred and eighty-eight dollars, and I'll get posted uh, to two twenty-five on that. Yeah, it's two twenty-five extra. That's right. That's in October. Well, I don't know if it's coming on the October check. They didn't say it specifically. All they said was that monies will flow before the end of the year. So you might get one check that's not in the normal payment schedule, or it might be on the October check. They weren't specific, but before the end of this calendar year, they say you'll have that money. Okay, now there's another guy, I think there were three or four cars ago, they were talking about the gas going up and that, but... Uh I got a <clears throat> plan for that. Uh, I get a couple forty-five gallons of the drums filled up. You do? Yes, sir. Yeah, you got to be careful with that kind of stuff. But if you know what you're doing, it's always fair idea to have a stockpile. God, God we got to be some careful with gas when we start like that. Hey, boy. That's what you say. Uh, that's what you get pretty. Uh, that's pretty dangerous. Hey, boy. It can be absolutely. Yeah. That's right, my son. Thank you very much, boy. You have a good day. You're doing a wonderful job, my son. Thanks, Harvey. Take good care of yourself. You too, my buddy. All right. Bye. All right, bye-bye. Okay, let's go to line number seven. Good morning to the City of St. John's Deputy Mayor. But in this case, the horsepower behind the tickle swim. Good morning, Sheila O'Leary. You're on the air. Oh, good morning, Patty. Thanks so much for taking my call. And, yes, with my volunteer hat on today. <clears throat> I'm calling because, I obviously, I wanted to talk to you about mental health. And this year's 10th anniversary MUN Insurance a Tickle Swim for Mental Health. I can't believe it's been 10 years. Uh, we're, we're a go on Saturday, swimming from Portugal Cove, St. Phillips, to, uh, to the town of Wabana on Bell Island. And uh, looking to spread the word and, and certainly give a shout out to all the supporters that make this event happen. Yeah, it's a good one. I don't. Let's go back to ten years. You know, any awareness campaign, whether it be walks or jogs or bingos or the like, it's all important. How'd you come up with this swim across the tickle of all places? Well, you know, we're doing a lot of reflection on that now with the tenth anniversary, and I have to I have to do a shout out. T. A. Loeffler is a good friend and a mentor of mine, and uh, I always had uh, a bucket list in the back of my mind that I'd wanted to swim a channel. I've I've always been a lover of ocean swimming, and uh, when I mentioned it to her, I knew I had to do it, and she uh, she was an incredible supporter. You know, she's so positive, and she's uh, kind of a living legacy of uh, how physical and mental health kind of marry. So she helped me train in the beginning. She hooked me up with the... Uh, 
you know, fantastic people like Michelle Young had to train and such in the, that first year. And of course, you would know Jody Richardson and Lynn Moore. They were there with me. Um, and others uh, that first year and uh, I can't believe it's 10 years we have 17 swimmers going out uh, on Saturday morning seven o'clock on Saturday morning from Portugal Cove St. Phillips of course weather pending Um, we're not afraid of a little bit of rain or or cooler temperatures it all depends on the currents but uh, you know this is all about supporting mental health training and education programs uh, that are run through Canadian Mental Health Association and 10 years of course is built all kinds of awareness and and you know the connectivity between physical and mental health right i think that that's at the core of uh, the concept of this uh, this swim as well but uh, we've got you know we've gained a lot of speed over over the years like i said we have a title sponsor mon insurance waterworks bell let's talk and atlantic lotto corp are all there to support us but let's get to the crux of this the people who are the real heroes are the swimmers and the kayakers and the safety boat volunteers and our very diehard uh, tickle swim committee uh, who work all through the summer to organize the event. And uh, we've got a $50,000 fundraising goal. And we're certainly inviting the public to come out and support those swimmers. They have individual pages that you can support. And you just have to go to tickleswim.ca and, uh, and support a swimmer and, uh, you know, all for mental health in our own community. It's important stuff. Uh, I like it. I don't mind an ocean swim. There's something about a route that has tankers and ferries and stuff that <laughs> makes me less inclined. <laughs> well, you know what, look, Patty, I, I think it's a beautiful area, and it's a really lovely communion between Portugal Coast, St. Phillips, and Belle Island. Uh, I mean, it's just a gorgeous, gorgeous tickle. And uh, But it's a feat. It is no doubt. You have to be in shape in order to do this. And we keep it open to people and we provide opportunities and make sure people are capable of doing it. And safety, of course, is first and foremost. We have uh, uh, Jen Guy, who's our safety lead, who's been on the committee for ages, and Kimberly Davis, she's our uh, swim lead. And they're just phenomenal individuals who are so dedicated. And my co-chair, of course, this year is Paula Tessier. And you know Paula, she's a fantastic community member. And um, you know what, just it, it takes a village, Patty, as you know, and you're such a big supporter. I know you and, um, and VOCM are such a great supporter of uh, mental health in general in the community. We know everything that's been happening over the past several years has been so, so trying in terms of mental health and it continues. And so this is why it's so important. And uh, so I just want to take the opportunity to let you know and your listeners know uh, that it's going to happen Saturday morning weather dependent it's a go unless we indicate otherwise and that the swimmers in the water 7 a.m uh leaving from portugal cove st phillips uh to bell island and uh people can check it out tickleswim.ca we're going to have lots of fun and activity in and around it so uh hope we can spread the word around and uh, and support mental health have fun good luck uh, have a safe swim and i appreciate the time and bravo on 10 years sheila Thank you, Patty, and thank you for always spreading the great word. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Take good care. Okay. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. As Sheila O'Leary, as the volunteer behind the Tickle Swim here this morning. All right, let's take a break for the newscast. When we come back, tons of time to speak with you. Don't go away. Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at 1 on your VOCM. Welcome back. Let's do line number two. Dave, you are on the air. 
Hi, Patty. How are you this morning? I'm doing well, thanks. How about you? Uh, oh, good. Uh, I'm a first-time caller, but a long-time listener, so I'm a little bit nervous. You take your time. Um, first of all, what I want to do, on September 11th, we saw 78 uh, new refugees come into our country. So I just want to uh, send out a welcome to them and let them know that I see the value of diversity and the contribution that they're going to have to our society. Um, the reason why I'm calling today is I have a woman who moved in with me from Brazil uh, last month, and she has a daughter, and she's trying to set up a new life, and she's going to school, and, you know, it's very commendable of everything that she's trying to do. Um, one of the issues that we're having now is uh, she recently went out and bought a car uh, last month, so her car costs $6,000. Um, she has previous experience from Australia and Brazil, driver of over 20 years. Uh, yesterday, we were um, trying different insurance companies just to get her auto insurance so she can drive and go to school and make appointments, go to grocery, all the things that you know we do as new planners. And uh, for me, my insurance is only $114 a month, which is great. And that's based on my previous driving experience. Uh, the issue when we went through all the uh, insurance companies, um, you know, some of them, the lowest that we were quoted was $4,920 just for uh, $1 million coverage public liability. That's mm -hmm. just public liability. And the highest one that we had was for $10,000. So my thing is, and my question is, and I was speaking with somebody from the Association of New Canadians um, to see if they can get someone in power or a manager to lobby the government to help make some changes so it would be easier for these new Canadians to do some of the things that we take for granted. Um, $10,000 for insurance on $6,000 car, in my opinion, is ridiculous. And, you know, especially when they have previous driving experience from countries, you know, the city that she's from, Brazil, has millions of people in the city. So, I mean, I would look at her driving experience. She's probably a better driver than what I am, just taking my car on Outer Ring Road or something like that. Um, my heart goes out to her. I mean, like she, like I said, she's mother of one, trying to make a better life and stuff like that. And to have to pay an extra $464 all the way up to double that could be up to $900 based on $10,000 insurance. I think that's something that the government really needs to look at and go to these insurance companies and say, listen, we have all these new people coming into Canada. How is somebody supposed to pay for rent and then pay for gas insurance and everything else that they got to pay for based on those prices? I don't think it's fair. I think her driver's experience speaks for itself. No tickets, no nothing like that. And to be charged like up to $10,000, it's just not fair for these new Canadians. And <clears throat> someone in government really has put pressure on insurance companies. I know I'm hoping just my voice, the voice of the common man, can make some changes for these new, uh, new immigrants that are coming into Canada. Sure. Because it's such a setback. They cannot depend on public transportation. There's no shelter. You're standing in the rain. 
I mean, you might get two runs a day. Um, if anything, I hope somebody is out there listening. I tweeted to the Premier. I tweeted on BOCM. Um, hopefully the Premier is listening. Hopefully someone in government's listening because if you want these Canadians to come in, you got to do more to help them. Okay, uh, this was in the news and got a lot of headlines when the first uh, wave of Ukrainian refugees came. And the immigration minister, Jerry Byrne, was speaking to this issue. Now, the insurance companies are under no obligation to do anything about this. The average uh, premium quoted is about five times what the Canadian would pay. Now, the government was talking about... I can't remember exactly what they said they were going to try to do to try to help the Insurance Bureau of Canada understand the plight of new Canadians and what is available to them and the cost of insurance, for instance. So there's a couple of questions I would have. Does your friend have a copy of her driver's abstract, her driving record? She she does. She actually uh, has it from... Australian, she has it from Brazil, and she actually had it translated. And when she tried to send it to insurance companies, it doesn't matter. It was a waste of money even getting it done, waste of time. They're not looking at it. The only thing they're saying, we don't recognize that for for you. We don't recognize that you're a new Canadian. We're not even going to look at it. Okay. Not one company would look at it. Next question. The If I remember correctly, one company in particular said that there's the opportunity for after 90 days for there to be a drastic reduction in premium. Is that a question you asked the company, and what did they say? No, I never, I never knew that was an option. It was, I mean, like when we spoke with the companies where here is there anything else you can do like you must have came across this before with uh, people coming into canada what are the options no options okay now when this all happened with that plane load of ukrainian refugees that was part of the news i don't know if anything has changed i can't recall a follow-up from mr uh, minister burns office on this specific issue but i'm going to see if they can give me an update because i remember talking about it i remember the insurance company the quote was they have no obligation nor does the government have any opportunity to actually uh, change premiums themselves of course all the insurance is regulated and premium requests whether it be for compensation for soft tissue injury Injuries, all those things, they go through the PUB, and there was extensive hearings, if people remember, just a couple of years ago, or a few years ago. So that's where it lies, which is an unfortunate spot for it to be. I will send a follow-up email to the Department of Immigration if there's been any changes that we can help you and your friend uh, maybe explore other options to get more reasonably placed insurance premiums. Leave it with me because I kind of, this one just, you know, ended up on the pile somewhere, but I'll do some follow-up on it because this was a big issue and grabbed lots of headlines when that first plane load of, I think it was 175 Ukrainians, landed in St. John's. Uh, I appreciate the time, and thanks for putting this back in my on the front burner. Yeah, and uh, I really appreciate it. So, I mean, even if you could uh, get somebody to take my contact information to you know, help this woman. Like I said, once again, like I'd like to welcome all the immigrants coming to Newfoundland. I'm a big fan of diversity and especially inclusion. And whatever I can do as an individual to help them, I'm going to do. And I just appreciate the help that you're going to uh, offer my roommate. I really appreciate it, and so does she. We'll see what we can do. Thanks for this, Dave. Okay, thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, let's get back on track with the breaks. Jerry's in the queue to talk about Muskrat Falls. Don't go away. Welcome back. Let's go to line number four. Jerry, you're on the air. Yeah, uh, hello, Perry. How long was you getting on today? Okay, Jerry, you? Oh, I'm pretty good, yeah. Pretty good, anyway. For for all of all, right? 
And, uh, no, or I want to speak on Mushrick Pass, eh? I'll tell you now what it's about now. Mud Lake was half flooded out down there, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, what I'm trying to say is that there's money uh, available for them, eh? But where was this money two years ago when, 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 when that happened? You know what I mean? You know where I'm coming from. Not 100%, but... Uh, so the, the money issue I think you're talking about is that any relocation vote does not have to happen at uh, Mud Lake th- these days. If families or homes want to... Households want to leave, they can avail of the two hundred fifty to $270,000 without voting on it. I don't know how what the direct relationship is with the flooding that happened back in 2017. There was an independent report at the time that said it was natural causes, the ice blocking the river. It's currently... In the course, there's a class action representing the residents of Mud Lake. So that's how I understand the issue. Uh, what is your understanding? Yeah, well, that's part of their understanding, all right? Yes, sure it is. But there's no help there for them. No, they'll have to wait and wait and wait and wait for, the, for this money. Because uh, uh, the, the government don't care about them, see? They don't, you just, you just don't care about them, anybody. Just like everything else, see? And uh, that, that's like now the other money now is issued for for uh, over there uh, over there Stephenville, right? Or in that area, right? Other uh, money is is issued for that, eh? But that's not going to happen. No, no, that's not going to happen because the first of all, well, this is what I got to say, and I know I'm right. Uh, the 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 Germans started the first world war, right? I know I'm right, what I just said. And they started the second. Now it is on the way for the start the third. And this hydro, or whatever it is, is, is involved now with the with the with the the hydro plant over there, or whatever the case may be. Now this is what they're waiting for. They're only just waiting for this. They're waiting for what? Sorry. The they're Germans waiting are waiting for what? Waiting for this to start, eh? And uh, for, what's going to happen now? They're going to turn it into a to a, 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 a the third world war, and that's just, what's going to happen. Just hold on here, Jerry, for one second. Okay, so I can catch up. The Germans are waiting for Muskrat Falls to be. No, 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 no Muskrat Falls. Then what? Over there, the the, the we're on the west coast over there. Okay, so the green hydrogen stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's, okay. that's it. Okay, and they're waiting for that. For, for the, when they get it in, 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 under control, right? They will start the third world war. Because of what? Because someone supplied them with energy. <laughs> oh yes, that's to make the nuclear bombs, boy. No, boy. I mean, <laughs> no, 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 Jerry, no. Um, no, <laughs> no. They started it's, the it's, first world war. They started the second. They're going the, to start the third. The Germans didn't use the hydrogen bomb. There's also some uh, nuclear scientist capabilities required, copious amounts of plutonium and uranium, not green hydrogen, which is basically just water electrolysis. Uh, it doesn't make bombs. Um, so, no, there's a difference. Yeah, there's a difference, but not yes. in my eyes, see? And i got a lot of friends out, out there is saying the same thing. I know, see, see, see. Well, that doesn't mean that any of them are right. Uh, making a hydrogen bomb does not just mean moving from wind turbines, all of a sudden you got a bomb on your hands. That's just not how that works. Um, let's go here. Line number one, Harold, you're on the air. Harold on one, you're on the air. Hi, Paddy. How are you? Not too bad, you. 
Good morning to you. I'm good, Paddy. Paddy, I was just listening to a couple of callers, but why I came on, I heard a man talking about the fish and, you know, I consider myself now, you know, the government is letting us all down because I'm a fisherman of the broken children out there running around the streets, getting all drug addicted and forgetting about how to respect yourselves and other human beings. <clears throat> and, you know, I also, I got to say this now, I hear people, Miss Buddy was just saying about, you know, immigrants coming in for new insurance and that, and I do believe that. And right now I'm struggling in life to get insurance because of my past mistakes when I lived in Ontario 25 years. And if they ever come up with something insurance, I hope they'll expect, extend it to me and so I can put my truck on the road and keep going out and doing what I'm doing every day, sitting down with old people, having coffee and trying to talk to the people that are out there broken and shed them light and, uh, show them that there's another way and this the world don't need another hero we need a savior and i was talking last year to tom osborne i wanted to get into all the schools and share my story of strength hope and courage and overcoming 40 years of addiction and what my life of crime gave me was absolutely nothing only a bad name and the dangers you know i hear a buddy yesterday that was breaking into all these homes home invasions and everything you know, and he deserves to be arrested and locked up. But our whole society has fallen wayward. I've been preaching about it three years, what's coming. I think people think I'm a joke and I know nothing. I was a drug dealer, now I'm a healer. I sold dope, I want to spread hope. I want to get into the schools, and I'm calling on all the government today and everybody that professes with their lips to care about mental health, we got to start at the bottom right now with our children that are in the schools. I got their attention. They're listening. And when we start making a difference with our children, we can save our time and our money to help the older ones that are suffering and being left behind. And I just pray today, Tom Osborne, Haggy, they all listen. I know a lot about addictions. Nobody wants to believe in God, but I want to believe in the children. I want to get into the schools and spread my story of strength, hope, and courage. Our children are dying. There's not enough trying. And in respect to my mom that's passed on, she always said, there's no such thing as bad boys. They're all sad boys. We just need a God to bring out their, their good. Well, regardless if it's God or any other guiding yeah, force or light, you mm-hmm. know, to for them to be paint, not to scare the, the heck out of them or not to traumatize yeah. them, but to paint a picture of what is going on and what they should avoid, what they could do to make themselves more successful and happy in life and uh, keep them on the straight and narrow, out of the clink and off the drugs. These are conversations that, of course, have to be tailor-made to people's age. There are good programs in the mm-hmm. schools. There's a program called the D.A.R.E. program. And yeah. they do some pretty honest conversations with school-aged children here. It's run by the RNC. There's always, mm-hmm. I think, an opportunity for different voices that aren't wearing a law enforcement uniform to tell their stories. You know, it's not about being scared straight, but by mm-hmm. just being informed as to what lurks around some different corners in the world and what to keep an eye out for and how, they, how to set them up so their own little alarms go off in their belly when they know they're coming along to something that could be a problem for them, their friends, their mom, their dad, their nan, their pop. So, you know, honest conversation 
nations are due with children. We can't pretend that we shield them from the world and we pretend that there's nothing potentially bad out there because then all we do is set them up to be shocked when they encounter it as opposed to be educated before the hand. You know, it's like talking about sex. But when you talk about sex with children, it doesn't mean they're going to go up behind the school and try it. It just means they're going to understand what we're talking about, what they should be thinking about and aware of before it comes at the, to that time of life. So yeah, I think, you know, for me, honest with children mm-hmm. is a better option mm-hmm. than pretending that everything is hunky-dory. Yeah, it's just letting them know. For me, Patty, I just want to let them know there's going to be a reaction. For every action you do, there's going to be a reaction. And I just want to suggest the pad I walk, uh, I see the dangers. To me, i got 40 years of addic- addictions university under my belt because I walked in it and I just want to share the dangers, the tiles, whatever's going to come there to trip them up. I just like to let them know what's going to happen if they choose the old life I choose to walk, you know, Patty? And I just want to give, you know, say thank you for getting me on to, to give me a bit of time and I respect everything you do and I respect your honesty, Patty. Appreciate the time, Harold. Take good care of yourself. Okay. Have a good day, Patty. You too. Bye-bye. Uh, will we get the event here, Dave? Before? Yeah, let's go. Why not? Line number two. Good morning, Pat Collins. You're on the air. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call, Patty. I just want to let everybody know in the Exception Bay area, Harper Grace area, that I'm bringing out my uh, my novel, uh, Murder at Lover's Leap. It's uh, my 12th publication, and uh, I'm happy to be able to do it at the Masonic Lodge on Victoria Street, Harbor Grace, on Saturday between 2 and 4. Uh, everyone is welcome to come in and uh, and uh, have a chat and uh, uh, get to know me and, and any questions you got on past, my past publications or comments uh, are all very welcome. Some music, and, and uh, we'd love to see everybody come in, and I look forward to seeing people. It's a, it's a book. I, uh, many people know that uh, I take true events and I expand on them and take some license to create a historical fiction. Uh, this particular book, uh, Patty, has to do with uh, the finding of a teacher who was uh, founded uh, in 1927 at the foot of a cliff called Lover's Leap. And there's another gentleman found with him, and a younger man. He, the guy who's, who's dead is a teacher. And uh, this young man, no one knows who it is. And, and the story is a mystery about trying to discover who is this person who apparently has killed this teacher. So... It's it's a hybrid of a number of diff, couple of different stories I've learned, and uh, I look forward to the reader response. Uh, Pat, is Lover's Leap in Harbor Grace or uh, Port of Grave? Ah, good question. Lover's Leap is in Port of Grave, but the story that's behind that particular story, that 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 famous landmark in Port of Grave, uh, is of two young people in, in 1864 who, uh, who, who plunged uh, almost to their death. Um, and it was discovered later that these young, these young lovers um, certainly were, it, it, was a, it was an attempt on their life as it was discovered that the railing that they leaned on that night, that moonlit night, was almost partially, almost, you know, sawn through. So it was discovered that it was a was an intentional attempt to kill these two people. And for years now in Port of Grave, that's been a mystery. So I've taken that story and transplanted it to Harbor Grace. I've moved Lover's Leap to Harbor Grace because uh, another story found in a nearby Carboneer was one that was discovered two years ago when a time capsule was found from 1961 where one person attempted the death of another 
And after an investigation, it was proven that uh, both these people that, that were mentioned in that note, um, nothing actually happened. But I used those two stories to create another story, a bigger story, a fictional story about that. I don't know. I can't remember much about this. But wasn't there, like, a couple of things pop into my head. Is that, wasn't there some sort of secret life for the school teacher that they were trying to figure out because they thought the murderer might be part of that secrecy in Mr. Peddle's life? And then the cop, Frank, someone or other, the RNC officer, Frank. Fallon? Oh, yeah. there you go, Frank, Frank Fallon. Fallon. So yeah. let's start with yeah. Nicholas Peddle. Wasn't that part of it? Is that there was some untold secret life that they couldn't figure out and consequently the trail went cold when looking for his killer? Yes, exactly. And I can't say too much about that, but you're absolutely correct because Frank Fallon is a character from my last story. Oh, okay. Body on the Beach. Yeah, from The Body on the Beach. Now, these stories are totally unrelated, but the character, the, the cop, is 86 years old when the phone rings. And this is 1977, and a guy, the, the Frank answers the phone. He and his wife are sitting in, in front of the fireplace, and the phone rings, and Frank answers. And this is another policeman in Harbor Grace saying that we found this time capsule where we think that the mystery of a murder that you investigated in 1927, 50 years ago, is now being uncovered. Are you interested? Do you want to know more about this? We have this time capsule now at the archives, and we're going to come up with the with the solution. And so then he slips back, and you spend four days then as a reader going through that investigation with Frank, and then you eventually return to the story where he's now again 86 years old, and they're going to announce who's actually the killer uh, of, of Nicholas Peddle. Yeah, so, it's, yeah. Okay, Pat, can you give us some example of what people thought some of the secrets of Mr. Peddle's life was? Was it, you know, of the time, yeah. the taboos of homosexuality or something? What was it? I can't remember. Well, yes, you're exactly right. Um, so there's some innuendo as you begin reading that there might be a sense of something having to do with the fact that there could be a pedophile here. Okay. Uh, a, a, a very strict teacher who was, who was, you know, uh, treated somebody badly, and that person who, who killed him may have, in fact, been the one. In fact, you know, maybe there's some relationship that pedal had with, in, with a woman whose child may be angry at this at this man pedal. So there's a number of different what might be, and I keep you, hopefully, I keep you on the edge as to, well, which is it? Is he a pedophile? Is he actually a, a homosexual? Does he actually have a lover of a woman that actually had this child who was out seeking revenge, and so on and so forth? So, yeah, it, it, it's a kind of a complex story, but I, I think people will enjoy those kinds of things. You know, I give little hints as you go through. It's interesting. Pardon me. It's an interesting subject matter. Uh, the details one more time for the book launch. Well, it's uh, it's at the Masonic Lodge at on Victoria Street, uh, Harbor Grace. This is coming Saturday, two to four. Um, uh, people are welcome to come by. If you don't want a book, that's fine. They're welcome to drop by. And uh, I have a little bit of music here, accordion music. Josh Shubbs is going to join us and uh, have a number of friends there people might be interested in seeing. So you haven't got to buy a book. It's just an event for people to come by. It's, this is my 12th book, and I'm, I'm kind of celebrating now, Patty, that uh, I got this other one out. and I just want to meet people again, you know? 
Yeah, sounds good, Pat. I think there's a lot of us in the same boat where, like, I ran into a pal of mine I used to see two or three times a week. I saw him the other day. We just so happened to be getting uh, gassed a pump away from each other. First time I've seen him in about two and a half years. We live in the same neighborhood. It's just so weird, isn't it? Uh, Pat, i got to run off to the break, but congratulations on your 12th novel, and I appreciate your time this morning. Thank you, Pat. Appreciate it. Thank you. All righty. Bye-bye. Uh, let's take a break. When we come back, we're talking about the most recent flooding that we experienced in the region, and then someone wants to talk about subsidies for fuel, and then we're speaking with you. Don't go away. Got plans for midnight? Bring your VOCM along with the best soundtrack for every night, anywhere. The VOCM All Night Show. Midnight on your VOCM. Welcome back to the show. Uh, line number five. Caller, you are on the air. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thanks for asking. How are you? I'm good. I um, I wanted to call in to talk about um, Newfoundland Labrador housing fuel subsidies. Uh, a friend of mine is in a Newfoundland Labrador housing unit, and um, she hadn't turned her heat on since May. She has oil, heat, and electric, and she receives a subsidy um, from housing to help with the cost of oil. So she's been living in her unit now for four years. She's never run out of oil. Um, when we had all the rain, her house felt really damp, so she flicked her heat on, and she was out of oil for the first time ever. So she contacted housing, and um, she was told that she had no subsidy left, um, and the new year for subsidies, they run their year from November to September. So Yeah, there's a one-month gap, that's right. There's a cap, so she's not eligible for any fuel until November. So, um, you know, she's, you know, looked over it. She's never run out of fuel before, and they told her her subsidies somewhere around 1700 a year, which hasn't changed since she moved in. So she contacted the oil company. Um, it's over $700 for them to come out now just to do a half a tank. Yeah, just she a couple of quick notes here. Yeah. So the yeah. grant can be much more than that. Depends on your circumstance, a detached home or uh, a, a, an attached unit. There's also a number of people living therein. I think the grant can be as much as $6,000 if, if I'm not mistaken. And the one-month gap is always something I've never really quite understood. And the $700 quote, of course, for most of the oil companies, when, they, when you call them for oil, the people that deliver their oil are subcontractors. And the subcontractors get paid on volume. So as opposed to someone saying, I want $50 worth of oil, they won't do it because the subcontractor, it's not worth their while. So that's why they've Absolutely. got some of these caps in place. So it makes it even more complicated for folks who are struggling to get 700 bucks or have a one-month one gap in some of the grant money coming from, in this case, Newfoundland Labrador Housing. So that's a real pickle. It is. And she contacted housing yesterday. Um, you know, she's she's disabled. She's a single mom of two. And she's, you know, she's never encountered this problem before. She was told that her cap was run out and that there was nothing they could do for her. Uh, suggested, you know, she's going to get her child tax next week, which, you know, I do understand there's a lot of people who are struggling and not everybody gets a fuel subsidy. So, you know, she's very grateful for the idea that she does. But, you know, from the outside looking in, where I'm to, I have I have some issues around that. Like, I can't, first of all, I can't imagine that, you know, government says we're putting you in these units and we're providing you with a fuel subsidy. So they're acknowledging the fact that 
these people can't afford to pay for their own oil. That's when oil is cheap. So oil is expensive now. We know that. So why are there not, um, you know, changes made to those subsidy rates? Why are people not even notified about it? And, you know, the concern is that she has now is, okay, I'll take my child tax next week. I'll get my $700 worth of oil, and then hopefully that'll get me through to November. But if my cap is only $1,700, what am I going to do when that runs out? Because we both know that's only going to last her maybe to the new year, and then it's going to be winter. So you're not talking about somebody who has you know, a lot of income, you have income support, and then you have your child tax benefit. And it's really unfortunate. And when she called housing, she was told there's lots of people in this exact same situation. And I I think that's really unfortunate. You know, last week, I had to turn my heat on after all that rain because my house felt damp. So I wonder what, how many people have empty oil tanks right now? And what's the condition of those houses going to be come November when fuel can get in them. Good questions. What are, what are I, these people doing? I've dealt term? with this. I've dealt with this issue in the past uh, where the the grant either ran out or they ran up against this gap in refunding uh, programs from NLHC. I didn't know if it had changed or not, but obviously not, given the story that you're telling me here this morning. Oh, boy. Yeah. I'm not sure where to point you. This, will, this is going to boil down to whether or not she has people in her family and social circles who can help her out in and the time being. And so she doesn't. if she doesn't, so, then I wouldn't even know where no. to point her, to be honest. There is nowhere to point. Like, she made a call to the minister's office yesterday, and so did I, because the first call she made, she couldn't get nowhere with. So I, I to help her out and to advocate for her, I made a call. And, I mean, I think they're very real questions. Like, I understand that, again, not everybody has a subsidy, and she's really fortunate to have that. But when you place somebody who's in a marginalized income in a unit and provide them with a fuel subsidy, you're acknowledging that they can't afford to pay for oil just by doing that. Mm-hmm. So with the price of oil being what it is now, these subsidies are not are not the same as what they were four years ago. So why are the subsidies not increasing to take into account the fact that oil is is what it is now. Understood. Well, yeah. like many things in this world, the, the, the one-time home heat subsidy would have had to have been adjusted. Uh, every bit of means-tested support that goes out the door, it has to be indexed with the consumer price index or reflecting cost of living from pensions on down. You know, not some pensions. CPP and OAS are all uh, based on index on the CPI or the con- consumer price index, pardon me. So there's some of that going on, but I appreciate you bringing this up on the, the show this morning. I wasn't aware whether or not there had been changes but obviously you're quite clearly telling us there have not been any changes there has been not and then when she called one of the things that was said is applying for the new oil subsidy that's coming out but she has never paid for oil so she doesn't have a receipt to even qualify for that and even if she did in the past pay for oil and could qualify i mean that would take three or four weeks to get that and we know october can be cold so I just, my concern is for her, obviously she's my friend and I wish I had the means to help her. 
I know there's no one else who can, and she will figure it out. She has contacted an oil company, and she will take her child tax next week and get oil because that's what she has to do. But she doesn't qualify for credit either because she's on income support. So that's another issue, right? Like you can't even get credit. You have, you're have you at the mercy of the oil companies to come for whatever they'll come for, which, you know, there was a guy one time who'd come and give you two or 300 bucks, but he's gone now, so there's no one who'll do that. And, you know, what happens if she if she didn't have child tax? What happens to the people who don't have children? They're going to have to wait till November. And mm-hmm. I, as a, as a human being, I have a problem with that. <laughs> like, I appreciate you know. the time and your genuine concern for your friend. Uh, they're flagging me off to the break. But once again, I appreciate your call this morning. Stay in touch. Let us know how it works out, if it does. Thank you. Take good care. You too. Bye-bye. Alrighty. Bye-bye. All right, uh, so the tentative date for people to return to the work site at Brea Renewable Fuels, of course, come by chance. You know, some workers are saying, I'm not going back in there until I know what caused that explosion, and you can prove to me that the facility is safe. And we're also curious as what the condition are, is of the, the people that remain in hospital as a result of the flash fire and the explosion. We'll get whatever we can, whatever Mr. Nolan is willing to share. Glenn Nolan, United Steelworkers Local, 9316. He's the president. He's after this. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Let's go to line number three. Say good morning to the president of the United Steelworkers Local, 9316. That's Glenn Nolan. Good morning, Glenn. You're on the air. Uh, good morning, Patty. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Happy to do it. Uh, You know, there's so much to this, and it's kind of hard to know where to start, but most importantly, I'd like to know what you can tell us about the status of those that are injured and remain in hospital. Uh, I can tell you that they're still in hospital. Uh, I really can't speak about the the injuries or anything. Yeah, we still have uh, workers in hospital, and I just want to let you know the prayers and support. uh, The family is so grateful, and everybody else uh, that's reached out from all all across Canada, United States, and all over. Uh, it really means a lot, and those prayers do help. I'm telling you right now. Uh, I just let you know. Uh, the family feel it. We all feel it. So, just keep those coming, and um, we'll get there. We'll get there. That's all I had to say on, on, on the families. They can reach out to you later on when everything um, everything comes back to normal. Yeah, and I don't even know. I, I don't expect you to share personal medical information. Uh, maybe I was just part part of my mind was hoping yeah. for you, for you to say that. Well, the recovery is going well or something. I just I just don't know. I've just been worried about them since it happened. Yes, I know you have, and everybody is. And uh, I wish I could say more, Patty. But I just want to touch base on a couple of things. As I um, I just uh, heard you uh, open line yesterday. I never had an opportunity. I've uh, been dealing with so much, uh, but. Uh, I just want to let you know that uh, you're talking about the return to work uh, plan, right? There, there's a couple of factors involved with all this. Uh, first of all, I just want to let you know the union uh, is being involved with this, uh, with the company. Uh, they've involved us in everything so far, which is good. We can see what they're doing and what they're talking about and what places they're going. And in saying that, um, we also got to look at this return to work. That's a tentative date. Like there's that's not carved in stone and uh, on this uh, tentative date, and I'll give you two reasons why. Well, the first reason why is the fact that the government hasn't done their uh, hasn't got their invasion, investigation done yet, and that's what uh, we're waiting for, so we can see uh, what criteria has to be fixed before the workers return to work. Uh, the company has done their internal investigation. Um, now they talk to the families. Um, also, now they're talking to the workers today and tomorrow. So these are two parts of it, but the, the important part is that we all have to remember that we're waiting on the OHS investigation and uh, what needs to be fixed before any of us return to that process area uh, where the incident happened, and uh, you know, and that's what we are being part of also. 
And also we have to remember, too, there's there's so many different pieces of this puzzle. We have a stop work order on our site, and that's for the process area. So that's not for the, uh, the fab shop logistics and other parts of the plant. So when you talk about return to work, we still don't have uh, the total plan if they're returning to those areas yet. And also I want to touch base on the fact that, uh, that people – are traumatized out there and uh, and is affecting them. Uh, does nobody have? They don't have to come back to work if that's still affecting them. The company's been very clear on that, and so is the union. And we talk to workers because there's a lot of people mentally not, <clears throat> excuse me, prepared to uh, go back on that site right now. And there's a lot of traumatized. I'm telling you right now, uh, the calls we get and uh, and we try to make sure we get the help. Well, USW had uh, we had three uh, emergency. Uh, response team come in um, to help with this. Also, the company had people there, and also uh, the other unions had their people. So it's still there if people need it, and they do need it. Everybody has to talk. I know I had to talk. I mean, um, um, and I, you know, I'm part of it, but there's still the trauma is there for all of us. So we have to reach out. So I just want to touch base. If, if people don't feel like they can go back there, they don't have to go back there. And that's put out there. I mean, until they're satisfied, until they get the help they need. And I just want to just make sure you, that's clarified, right? And okay. if there's any issues with that, they can reach out to me, and I will I will jump on it. But so far, um, that's what we've been led by uh, in the company's meetings and everything else. Uh, but to remember, at the end of the day, the stop work orders for the process area. And there is uh, they haven't returned to the other areas yet, and there will be a plan for that once that comes out. And we will be questioning that, too. But we've been part of the meetings that they're having, which is good. So we can see what's going to go. We can question what's going. So um, let's just give you a basic update on where we're at. And um, we're a long way from there yet. Uh, I don't want to jeopardize the investigation, but, of course, I'm just curious by nature. Do we know anything, without giving me any specifics, do we know any more than we knew last Friday, or pardon me, on the 2nd, about what happened, what caused the explosion? Anything at all? Uh, yes. The internal investigation has, uh, uh, from the company, they have a, a diagnosis of, of what uh, what happened. And they're sharing that. They shared that with the families. Uh, uh, and it was very traumatizing for them. And... Uh, once they reach out and they want to speak on that, they can. Also, now they're sharing it uh, with the supervision and the contractors today and tomorrow. They're going to share it with the workers. Uh, and I want to speak on that. I want them to hear it and voice their opinion because uh, there's going to be angry people, uh, workers, uh, when they go there. And they're going to voice their opinion so the company can hear it and they can make sure that when they go back to these uh, positions that they, they've got the frustration, though. They got it on paper. These are the things that I've seen that I need fixed, and this is what I think will happen. And, you know, all these things come together once, once they hear the investigation. But I want to make sure that we understand that OHS hasn't done their full investigation and hasn't had it out. So, and that's the other piece of the puzzle that's very important to all of us is what directives or what things has to be done before anybody goes back to work. Because at the end of the day, there are eyes and ears for how this uh, investigation been done. Now, we did our internal investigation. And I just got to say, the company has also, um, in all this, is uh, we have our co-chair of safety, which has been involved in a lot of investigation. He will be the rep there now for this rest of this project, overseeing also, uh, which is which is really good for everyone to have uh, Perry Felton, the vice president, also uh, being involved in all these investigations and anything that's going to happen on this site uh, for the rest of this project in the safety aspect. 
So these are things that the company also agreed with, which is really big for all of us, too, at the end of the day. It's about getting back to work and being back safe. But it's also, you have to remember, we have to have the workers in the right mindset. And a lot of people are not going there, uh, Patty. And it's it's uh, it's going to be a long time for healing that way and also for our injured workers that need to heal. And it's a long process. And we cannot forget when uh, all this starts to come around. We cannot forget them. We have to... Uh, as advocates, the union will not forget them because that's what we do. We've been advocates for a long time. We have for having people uh, burned and we're still advocates for them. And that's what I want to make sure that we don't and nobody does. We won't. Mm-hmm. And we'll make sure everybody else is accountable that they uh, they watch out for everyone that's on that site. Uh, of course. And we're, we're led to believe that there was uh, at least a couple of people in close proximity to the explosion who were also on site when the two people died there in the 90s. So that's really quite something. Oh, uh, yes. Anyway, Glenn, I appreciate the update. There is, there is a lot of people uh, that were on that were there in 98. Um, I came in 99, and uh, that is still, uh, you're absolutely right in what you just said. But uh, God bless, and uh, thank you, uh, everybody, for all the support. And, uh, uh, and we're not there yet, and uh, the companies, uh, people are coming back. Uh, this is a tentative date. But to return to work, uh, and if you feel like it, uh, um, that you can't do it, uh, just reach out. Uh, I mean, that's that trauma is still there, even the workers that witnesses have been around there, right? So, Appreciate the time, Glenn. Uh, stay in touch. Well, Patty, I appreciate all that uh, you get this message out, and to all the people in Newfoundland, Labrador, across the country, I really thank you for your prayers for these families, and that's the main focus of all of us today. We'll talk again soon, Glenn. Okay, Patty, thank you very much. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Glenn Nolan. He's the president of the United Steelworkers Local 9316. Time for a break. Uh, Jerome's there to talk about pensions. Appreciate Greg's pensions. uh, Pensions? (laughs) Pensions. Uh, His patients. We're going to talk about some flooding that he and his property suffered out in Mount Pearl. Look away. Take a break. Join us weekdays from 1230 to 1 p.m. as we discuss anything and everything that's happening now. It's all on the table during your VOCM lunch break. Welcome back. Let's go. Line number one. Greg, you're on the air. Hello, Greg, on line number one. Are we there? Is he potted up, Dave, by chance? We'll give him another shot here. Greg, on line number one, you're on the air. Hello. Hello. Hello, Patty. First time caller, long time listener. Welcome to the show. Uh, my daughter was uh, was living in Mount Pearl and on River Riverview Avenue uh, in a building. And she flooded out there with this big rainstorm that we had. Now, they had three feet of water in their apartment. It was a total loss. She salvaged nothing. Now, she got a three-year-old son, and they have nowhere to go. The Red Cross put them up for three nights at the Super 8 Motel. And the night, basically, today is they they had to check out at 11 o'clock. Oh, okay. So the temporary assistance people get from the Red Cross, Salvation Army and stuff is important, but it it probably doesn't last long enough for them to be back into their home that's dried up and repaired. So what options are out there today for her? There's basically, no, no, she's been trying to get into Newfoundland and Labrador housing. She do work. She's been trying to get into Newfoundland and Labrador housing for the last two years. Now, there's units all over this town that are vacant. I don't know what the problem is here. I mean, like, she's got nowhere to go. She's got a three-year-old son. She basically lost everything. Sewer, sewer was backing up into the, into the apartments. Now, the other tenant that was across the hall from her, he's actually disabled. 
he was out from five o'clock in the morning when this water was coming in, nothing on his feet outside. The, the landlord's done nothing. They 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 called him that morning. They didn't respond. They didn't care. I mean, they basically shut the power down in the building. These people are displaced now. My daughter got a three-year-old. I mean, she's devastated. She lost everything. Boy, oh boy. I mean, I unfortunately have a couple of these stories on my plate. I Okay, I'm not going to give out this guy's number unless he uh, sends me another email to tell me that he might be able to help yet another person who's been displaced because of some flooding with this most recent storm and not to be too personal greg and it's kind of none of my business but i'm going to ask anyway is there any opportunity for them to stay with you well i i have a i have another child and he has a mental illness and it's not a good spot for a three-year-old to be okay so i mean it's not an option right now i mean like you know i mean it's it's sad but i mean it is it, it's, it's the way it is okay well i'll tell you what uh the this one or two people that generally reach out to me with some housing related options i didn't generally i hear from them right away when something like this pops up but i haven't so maybe they're busy uh, doing something else and that's obviously pretty normal stuff leave it with me let him send him an, i'll send him a note and tell him so you have a, a woman and her three-year-old son is there any timeline for the repairs to be done like are one of the companies the service masters of the world they're working on it already yeah this is not going to be done for months oh no i listen i had my basin flooded out uh, yeah. a few years ago it was a nightmare absolute nightmare and, but of course i could live prior upstairs. problem with this unit these units apparently these units flood all the time they weren't disclosed that when they actually moved in they should have been told this right that this is, you know, pro- it's prone to floods. If they had to know that in the beginning, they probably would have never moved in there. Okay, so the fellow who I was anticipating a note from, he says the very quickly in the email says, tell him I'll try my best. So he'll get back to me. If he presents an option, I'll pass it on to you and your daughter. No problem at all. Other okay. than that, I'll have a quick look around, see if someone can give me some options and or give me some advice. Whenever I have anything, especially from this one very generous, kind soul who's obviously a great business person and has a big heart. If they get back to me with something, myself or David will give you a call. At this moment in time, that's the best I can do. Okay, Patty, thank you very much. No problem, Greg. God Take bless. Care. All right, bye. Okay, anyone else out there knows of any potential options, you know, whether it be in the rental room world or whatever the case may be? Let's go to line number two. Jerome, you're on the air. Morning, Patty. Morning to you. Uh, Patty, uh, a recap. Uh, if you don't recall, uh, I talked to you about uh, my missing pension. I do you recall? D- well, I do kind of recall. Uh, d- d- yeah. re- fill me in. Well, thanks for that, Patty. Uh, yes, uh, it took 17 days, Patty. Uh, I started this on the 1st of August when I noticed that uh, there was no pension money coming in that I paid for 35 years. And uh, uh, it took 17 days to track down even where uh, who was sending my checks because it was just automatically going through the banks for 22 years. So, Patty, uh, uh, I hadn't received any monies since uh, May. Uh, so June, July, August, September that I hadn't received uh, any monies. And... Uh, uh, which I paid, of course, uh, and uh, 
very dependent on Patty because uh, that was our main uh, source of income, Patty, uh, my wife and I. And uh, best of my knowledge, uh, I won't receive anything until October 1, uh, which will be f- the fifth month, Patty. Uh, I don't know what to say. Uh, uh, I don't know if I should name uh, anybody, uh, any company that I'm dealing with or who's... So this is your this your private sector pension? Say again, Patty? Is a private sector pension a pension that came from a company you worked for, or are we talking about something coming from the yeah, government? Yeah, I, I work for a paper company uh, for 35. Oh, uh, yes. Now I remember I went to see yes, a, a, a and, organization uh, that reps you. Yeah. Yes, I paid uh, it uh, weekly off my check, certain percentage, Patty. Yep. For these days that uh, I hope to live there. And uh, this is what happened to me, Patty. And uh, we had. Uh, for five of uh, uh, August first till now, Patty, uh, no food hardly. Uh, uh, as I speak, uh, Patty, uh, my wife is uh, and my son are going to the food bank, Patty. Don't be ashamed of that. Don't be ashamed of that. I know it's not comfortable if it's nothing that you've done in the past, but, you know, tough times call for these types of measures sometimes. So I hear it in your voice that it's sad that they had to resort to a food bank, but that's what they're there for. While we try to clear up your pension issue, if that's what you need to do, that's what you need to do. Patty, I want to reiterate that these people... Uh, days, I got, I got it here in front of me, Patty. Is uh, it's a brand new sheet which it's got, and but it's back, backdated to April twelfth, twenty twenty two, Patty. And it says, if we do not hear, uh, they, they, uh, I think once a year, Patty, they send out a little sheet form that I suppose like see if you're still alive or. It's a very short form. It has most of the information, and they just take it off. It's correct, you know, like my name, my spouse's name, and our dates, and our birthdays, and that's about it, Patty. And so they said they sent me one of these back in May, Patty. I never ever seen it. Okay, so before I run out of time, unfortunately, I, I tried to find an organization that represents the pensioners receiving this pension. I think, if I remember correctly, they were located in the province of either Quebec or Ontario. Did you try them? Oh, yeah, absolutely, Patty. We, we contacted them uh, through uh, my bank and through uh, MHA's office, uh, Chris Tibbs, and we finally found these people, and they said they never received this form, and they would stop payment. I'll read it to you. If no response is received by this date, which is May 10th, 2022, Resolute FP Canada, Inc., will stop payment of your pension effective June 1st, 2022, Patty. I never saw this till uh, two days ago, at the most. And, uh, uh, Patty, I can't reiterate enough that uh, they got my credit room, they got my family. I understand. I understand in full. So what happens when you get the, the, the form back 
to them. Well, uh, that's already done. Uh, on, uh, let me see the date here, Patty. Uh, went through the bank email and it uh, went personal mail by me and my wife on the 22nd of uh, 08, 22 this year, uh, which is uh, last month, I guess, 22nd. And they said, well, the cutoff date we have is 14, so you won't get no money. And better, we don't have any. Okay. No. If there was something that I could do to ease the pain here immediately, I totally would. Um, okay, so they're going to reject you filling out the the proper form, the completed proper form? Is that what you just said? I'm trying to... They said that's what happened, that uh, okay. I didn't send back a form back in May, and if it wasn't received by May 10th, they would stop uh, payment by June 1. I didn't know nothing about this till now, because I've been working on it since uh, 1st of August here. And if I may, Patty, I'll, I'll go into one more little tiny thing here. I won't say who or where, I'll just say that I got information that I could get some help from a, a government program, a, a, a provincial program, uh, government of Newfoundland Labrador Department of Children, Seniors and Social Development. And I, I done a 30 minute interview on the phone I went through weeks and weeks with Chris Tibbs' office and so on, and the banks, and uh, they came back and said, uh, I only want some food, by the way. And they said, uh, you make too much money. And I said, well, where is it? Where's this money? Well, you get old age and you get a kind of pension. And I said, yeah. And your wife gets old age, yeah, and she doesn't get enough pay to rent. And uh, okay, I I just have to it's jump in here. Terrible, Jerome. Anyway, I, I never got no food and no money. Jerome, I'm going to get you some food. Okay, that much yeah. I can do. So I'll take care of that, and you take a deep breath. I'll get back to you at some point during today to sort this out. So I've got your number. So let's just leave it there for a minute while we both catch our breath. And I'll get you something in the cupboard and in the fridge, okay? Thank you, Patty. Okay, Jerome. I'll talk to you after. Okay. okay. Bye-bye. Okay. So, okay, we'll try to figure that out. Um, Let's take a break. When we come back, of course, the, the topics, you know, maybe sometimes, I don't know about you, but with the some of the good things that are actually also happening at the same time as we try to deal with people's own personal circumstances and some of the big policy issues of the day and the politics of the day if you can do me and dave and the listeners a favor because guaranteed some of you out there are sitting on some good stuff sitting on some good news sitting on something that can brighten my day and anybody else's day sometimes we don't get enough of those types of correspondence and every now and then we do, and it's not just an effort to just throw around a bouquet for the sake of. Something you want to be proud of inside your family or community, or whatever else you want to talk about. We can do it after this. Don't go away.
Uh, welcome back to the program. You know, in, in circumstances uh, like that, and Jerome's not alone, you know, it's not for me to tell you how to think and feel about things, but, you know, if you have to resort to turning to community supports or food banks or your friends and your neighbors and your family, people are in a tough spot. And so if that's the reality, then my only hope is that not only will you get some of the help and support that you need, but you try to find a way to not be embarrassed by it. I mean, we talk to people who work at the St. Vincent de Paul's and the Bridges de Hope and organizations like that and the Red Cross and Salvation Army, and they're seeing more and more people that are turning to them for whatever under the sun. So hopefully things will get better before they unfortunately might get worse for some, but, you know, and then I'm always amazed, although I shouldn't be amazed anymore, that, you know, I've automatically got some people who are willing to help. And now, of course, I take this the right way. We don't want this to become a, a simply a show where it's devastation and hopelessness and because th- that's it's really not what it's for every now and then i mean we do it offline and off air we hear these types of stories and if you were kind enough to want to be part of uh, helping out one person or another and, you know I, I think it's probably more common than not you know even when we do things like radiothons here i'm blown away with how people react and the generosity that's on the full display so you know th- the stories are tough and the the solutions are sometimes hard to come by. But of course, and again, I, I, not trying to derail from the realities of life here, but I think we could all, we could all use just a little bit of the, some of the brighter things that are going on every now and then, like we try to, try to pardon me, try to start the show in the morning with a bit of good news or some interesting tidbits that might not be right in the crosshairs of the dilemmas of the day or the public policy and politics of the day, but you know, th- we've got to find a space in our minds to not escape it, but to find just a little bit of freedom, a bit of peace, so that when we get back to the grind, we've got a bit of restored energy and brain capacity to deal with what's going on in your world, in your friend's world, in your family's world. Because not all the stories might be as as dire as some of the ones we hear, but, you know, I guess that comes back to the old look around because we've all got, the, sometimes we've got the blinders on, and it's easy enough to understand that. Everyone's got their own set of circumstances, their own set of problems, and that's just the, that's where we find ourselves. But, you know, some of the, some of the chances to understand what people in our sphere, social circles, neighbors, what have you, are going through before they reach rock bottom is also something that I'm not trying to be, I'm, I'm not Gandhi here, or I'm not trying to pretend I'm anything, anything like that, but we just hear it so often that I just wonder how we can get to it before it becomes just so unmanageable for some. But if you've reached out to me in the last four or five minutes uh, during that commercial break and said that you'd like to do something to help, you're good people. Let's take a break for the news. When we come back, the topic, that's up to you. Don't go away. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. Welcome back to the show. Uh, You want a piece of good news? My nephew, Ben Collingwood, Player of the Month for August in the Newfoundland Labrador Soccer Association. He plays for the the boys under 15s in the Tier 1. There you go. Way to go, Ben. So line two, Leo, you're on the air. Good morning, Penny. Hiya. 
Uh, not too bad, I suppose. I was just uh, listening to the news, and I think that you you had it on too. You discussed it there. Is it ever possible that somebody getting one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year uh, 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 is going to get another two hundred and fifty dollars from the from the government trough? Yeah. That, I can't. I, I can't get my head around that at all. Uh, I mean, and then anybody with an income up to a hundred thousand dollars, they're getting the five hundred dollars. Right. So if, they, they, they get five hundred dollars. Anybody making up to a hundred thousand dollars a year, they get five hundred dollars, and then between that and a hundred and fifty, they get two hundred dollars. You You're right, but what do you want me to say about that? So no, I don't begrudge him to help. It's hard to comprehend, isn't it? You know, to a certain extent, because you know, when you're talking one hundred fifty thousand dollars, you're talking with some of these fellows that we've that, that that's representing us in the in, in government, and I'm sure that they're getting paid enough. If you're in government and you have a, a partner or anybody else in the home with you, you won't qualify for those because it, it's net family income. It's not for one person making $150,000. So if you've got, you know, a uh, so husband, wife, partners, whatever, both making $51,000, they're going to get $500 in support to uh, help them cover the, the extraordinary cost of home heating fuel. God almighty, Patty, what would they do if they were getting 20000 a year or 15000 Well, those people also qualify. They qualify too, yeah. <laughs> and it's unreal. Some of the stuff that comes out, I'll tell you that. But to get the, to get to this uh, this GST now, the, the the bump on the GST there, uh, they say that for the next six months you're going to get what is it, two hundred and fifty dollar extra. How, how how did that work? I still can't really grasp that because. If you are, I mean, say we get to say we get we're the seniors now, and I suppose I don't know who else, but anyway, seniors now are getting five hundred five hundred dollars every three months, every quarter. But now apparently that's going to go up, is it? The GST bump uh, depends who you are and your status in this uh, life. Singles without children get up to $234 more with this one-time bump in the GST. Couples with children will get up to $467 more. Seniors, the average is going to be about $225. Yeah, yeah. Now, now you said they're one-time, one-time thing, is it? Yeah. Like, say, we, we're, we're going to get, say, $500 now uh, uh, the 1st of October. But instead of getting $500, we'll be getting an extra 220 or 200 whatever. For that month. Well, they didn't say specifically that it would show up on your October check. It says quite clearly that it'll be by the end of the year. So whether or not that makes it on your October check or there's a separate check that comes up before the end of the year remains to be seen. There's no specifics offered. Well, they're okay. So we're due on on October, and then we're due on on January the 1st. So apparently they're going to they're bump that up for them two payments. Am I right, dear? By the end of the year, so not January. Not January. Well, okay, it's hard to understand that one. Because, I mean, and that's only just a one-time thing. Yes, it is. Yeah, okay, good enough. All right, good enough, Eddie. Thanks a lot. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I, I would have well, imagined. I don't know. I, I, what is a good thing? I mean, say certainly people can use a bit of money, especially around Christmas time, you know, as it is. But, I mean, say, the way that they do it, six months, what the hell has six months got to do with that, you know? 
I mean, it's over a six-month period, but then if you're going to add it onto our GST, well, it's going to be October and the one that we get in the 1st of January or whatever, and they'll probably give it to you. I don't know why they do that, why they would give it to you, say, uh, December December the 30th or something like that. And then you get that $200 then, and then you'll get your $500 that uh, that's coming to you in January. Uh, yeah, I'm not really sure what the concern is. So you'd want it all in October, or you'd like to see? No, 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 no. I mean, I'm just I'm just trying to I'm just trying to understand why they why they come in with this uh, six month thing because I mean, there's only well whatever, you know, there's not six months left in this year now. So here's how it reads. Yeah. The GST tax credit doubled for six months. So that's 11 million Canadians will be the recipient of this bump. But I just gave you the numbers as to what it adds up dollars and cents because, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the only way to really talk about these programs as opposed to, you know, just say, well, in October you're going to, if you got 500, you're going to get 625. And in January 1st, you're going to, because I, I don't know that to be true. I don't have those specifics. But they say by the end of the year. So does that mean that their in-house mechanisms to adjust your GST check that you normally receive can have the appropriate amount added to it for the one-time mail-out or direct deposit? Mm-hmm. Or if they know what you're supposed to get for a bump because you're a, a, a single or a couple with children or a senior citizen, and it's easy enough for them to know who you are and already getting GST checks and send you the additional bump money the one time based on in-house mechanisms. I mean, they can't even figure out how to pay their employees, let alone try to figure out how to add bumps to GST. So I'm going to guess that you're going to get the October check as per normal, and then by the end of the year, you're going to get the additional bump that the government announced there a couple of days ago. Yeah, that would be another extra four or five hundred dollars. Yeah, the, right. Depending on your own cir- or circumstances, that's yes, absolutely right. Uh, depending on the circumstances, that's yeah. right. But I mean, the majority of us, you know, will will get that extra four or five hundred dollars. Yeah. yeah, very good. Thanks a lot, Patty. No sweat, Leo. All the best. Yeah. All right. Bye bye. All right. There you go. Um, and getting some continued questions here about the implications of the holiday Monday. I mean, I guess if you're in your own world, if there's something that is confusing to you about this fair enough because there's a lot of confusion kicking around but the basics of it are people are continually asking me about what about my medical appointment i guess it's always important to check with your healthcare provider if there's going to be any adjustment in their world it is true that private clinics are basically subcontractors of the government and the government has said businesses can choose to close if they are so inclined i haven't heard a private clinic say that they are closing their doors and going to reschedule appointments on that were scheduled for monday just adding to the complication that they're already facing and the unbelievable number of people trying to get on the patient roster. So here's what we do know. Government employees working directly for the provincial government are off. Now, what that means in healthcare is we're told that family medicine, that clinic at the Health Sciences Center, which has a direct relationship with Munn's Medical School, they'll be closed. Other private health offerings, or pardon me, other uh, clinics out there, I haven't heard one single one tell me that they're closing on that day. So that's the basics of it. Schools are closed. Then the complicating factor kicks in when we know that some daycare providers are also going to close, whether it be in the want to mourn the loss of Queen Elizabeth II or to give their staff a break in an effort to keep them retained and happy and all the rest of it. But that's the basics. On the federal level, the federal government employees are off. 
The other issue that always comes to pass when we talk about days off, and you remember when we went back to uh, 10 sick days for people working in for the federal government and or federally regulated industry. The federally regulated industry is sometimes what people refer to as the bank holidays. So the banks are regulated by the government. They would be off had it been extended to federally regulated industry. Telecom companies, couriers, and others, they would have had a national stat holiday, but that's not what the government did. They simply made it a holiday for their employees directly, not for the extension to the regulated industry. So that's what we understand. That's how much we know. And so I guess we go from there. Uh, Oh, yeah, so this is a good point made by Jerry. The GST bump, it's going to happen because the NDP wanted it to happen, and with the supply agreement that they have with the Liberals, it does indeed have to formally pass through the House, which can't happen until Tuesday, but it's inevitable because this is something the NDP demanded, <laughs> or whatever the right word is, and the Liberals announced. So it's just a matter of formality to get the required votes and royal assent in the House of the Commons, but Jerry's absolutely right. Let's take the final break of the morning. When we come back, we're speaking with you on a topic of your choosing. Don't go away. Uh, Welcome back to the program. I uh, caller earlier, I wasn't 100% sure what to make of it, but it was about the implications of Mod Lake and hydrogen and Muskrat and whatever else it was. And someone thought they misheard me that there was no need for a vote by, by the residents of Mod Lake if they'd like to take advantage of the government's resettlement money. That's the case. So for the short recap... It used to be communities would have to take it upon themselves to have that extremely divisive conversation, maybe amongst their own, their own family members or their neighbors, about whether or not it's time to consider relocating. So, it used to be you had to have a 90% vote in favor of moving. Then the government reduced it to 75 But it's not even as simple as that. Once the vote is completed, let's say a community, wherever, votes that, yes, we'd like to leave and they come up with 77%. At that point, it's not a green light. It's not a rubber stamp from the provincial government. It goes on to say that they have to do a 10-year cost-benefit analysis. If they are able to save $10 million over those 20 years, you will indeed be eligible to collect that resettlement money from the government. Depending on circumstances, it's between $250,000 and $270,000. In Mud Lake, based on the flooding... That, the, that occurred some years back, I think it was 2017, regardless of what the cause was, the government has now waived it. Any individual homeowner, household, can simply say to the government, I want to leave. And I'm going to take you up on your offer of, say, for instance, I have a, a couple with a couple of children living in the home, they'll be eligible for $270,000. And so that can just go. So the government waived all the voting thresholds required on that front. Then there was an interesting story, and I think this is going to make things even more complicated for governments in the future, because this is going to happen, right? It's inevitable. Nobody likes to have these conversations. The R word is an ugly word for many people. You know, harkens back to the day of floating my home across the bay. The story from Little Bay Islands is fascinating. I believe the couple's name is Gordon and Juanita Hull. Mr. Hull had some medical complications. They thought it'd be better served if we moved to Springdale. And so they did. Then the ruling was made by the provincial government that they weren't eligible for the resettlement money after Little Bay, Islands, Little Bay Island. They agreed upon their vote to resettle. Then it went back, and the government's been told to have another look at it. They say that the review by the government included four critical errors. The most notable is that even though the Hulls moved, they maintained their home, paid their property tax, their insurance, their cable bill, the light bill, all that stuff. The home was there. So the judge said, a move may be temporary or permanent. 
which is a key distinction. These are not people who just simply had a country place out in a rural community and just kept paying their property taxes under the guise of being permanent residents and could collect the government money. It wasn't that at all. It wasn't that at all. It was the fact that they were born there, had raised their children there. They've been there since the 40s, since day one, and simply moved closer to Springdale, oh, to Springdale, for medical assistance. So the government's going to have to review that. Now, that's a much different story than some people who say, well, I spend six months a year in this one community or another, and I've been out there for 20 years, and this is a summer place or a getaway or a cabin or a cottage. Not the same thing. So I think that's going to be a... A tricky one for government to manage, but again, it's not just the result of the vote. The government has to look at that whole cost-benefit analysis, which is, eh. Let's go. Line number one. Say good morning to the Food Producers Forum Chair. That's Dan Rubin. Good morning, Dan. You're on the air. Hi, Patty. How are you doing today? Excellent today. How about you? Well, I'm in Clarendale. I just bought a bottle of wine. I'm on my way to Twillingate with my partner, Dave Pandit, to play a reception for their arts festival. But I'm very glad to talk to you about the survey that we just launched to collect the missing information about what's being actually grown and gathered as food in our province. Dan, before we get to that, are you playing your harp or harpsichord tonight? <laughs> I'm playing fiddle and Suzuki okay. and guitar and mandolin. Okay, terrific. Let's go with the survey. What's shaking? Okay. How does it work? Say again? How does the survey work? Who are you reaching out to? Individuals or producers? Uh, they're the same because, you know, the oh, okay. uncollected <laughs> information is what's being grown at the community level. There are so many gardeners and foragers, fishers, hunters, community gardens. There's over 100 community gardens there, thousands of gardeners. And the province needs to know, we need to know, all of us, what's being grown, because that's where the opportunity really lies for food security. And nobody's ever collected that information. So we've organized a team. We have an online survey. It takes about 20 minutes to complete it. That's all. And we need people to do it, whether they're a home gardener, a market gardener, a farmer, a fisher in the food fishery, or a hunter. So we can collect general information in detail about what's being produced right here at home. And the way you do that is by going to our website, foodproducersforum.com, and there's a link right on the main page to the survey. What do we do with the information? It's one thing to know where we are. Data is important. It fuels all good decision-making. But how do you apply what you hear in the survey to change the water on the beans? Well, first of all, we celebrate what we have and we refocus on it. And then we get the government to support small-scale producers and to appreciate where the food is really coming from. Because the food that's produced locally is a lot more healthy. And we also can connect people together so that the things that they're doing that work can be imitated in other places. So the exchange of information and the recognition in provincial policy to support this are our goals with the survey. 
how, how what sort of link is there between your group, which does really cool stuff? You and I have talked many times. Yeah. So between you know yourselves and Food First NL and the great things in store program and you know Big Feed Inc, all of those things, are you folks all in conversation so that we ensure that all the horsepower we're putting behind this is all working towards the same goals with the same types of policy-led discussions you have inside your own circles? How does that work with the collaboration? Because that seems to be an important piece. Yes, we are. Yes, Cubed. Because when we held our provincial conference in May, Regeneration Soil Food Community, we had people from Food First on board, along with the Federation of Agriculture and, and, and researchers at Memorial and the Social Justice Cooperative and the Western Environment Center, were all connected. And out of that conference, Patty, came a new group called the Food Action Network. And that includes Josh Smee of Food First and Jody Williams of Bridges to Hope Food Bank and people from Second Harvest. So we are very well connected and moving forward arm in arm to deal with these issues. And one of the reasons I really admire what Josh Smee is doing and what Food First is doing is they're getting down to the dirt with the rest of us. They're getting down to practical change, including that program you mentioned, Great Things in Store. So we're working very closely coordinated with other groups across the province. Sometimes we simply talk about food in the dirt, but does this include hunters and Yes. Fishermen and the like. Yes. Okay. Yes. We we need data from hunters. We need because we uh, Newfoundlanders eat more moose than beef. Can you believe that? It's true. I've do, we've documented that already. But we need to know what people are gathering. I talked to a man beside me at the farmers market in St. John's this weekend, who told me that he earns ten thousand dollars a year by picking berries, that he's put three kids through university. He's a retired man in his 70s, and he goes out where he lives in Trinity North, and he picks berries. I couldn't believe that, but he said, yep, over $10,000 a year. He sells at the farmer's market, he sells to Coleman's, and he sells to his neighbors. So we haven't scratched the surface. We believe more than 3 million pounds of food is being gathered and grown. So we need to hear from gardeners. We need to hear from farmers. We need to hear from, hear from hunters and fishers and foragers. And all of the survey is anonymous. It takes about 20 minutes to do online. It's linked through our website, foodproducersforum.com. And we're just, as you can tell from my tone, we're gung-ho. We're going to do this. You always are. Where do folks we find the survey, Dad, before we run out of time? Yeah. I'm sorry, you might not have heard that question. Pardon me. Yeah. Uh, where do folks find the survey quickly before we run out of time this morning? Find it by going to our website online, foodproducersforum, F-O-R-U-M, dot com, and the link is right there on the main page. And look to tell their friends. We need Yeah, the connection's unfortunately starting to break up here this morning, Dan, but keep up the good work. Stay in touch with the program. Thanks for this. The connection totally dropped on us. That's unfortunate, but you got the information from Dan, and you go ahead and be part of that survey. All right, good show today. Big thanks to everyone who supports the program, and we will indeed pick up this conversation again tomorrow morning right here on VOCM and Big Land FM's Open Line. On behalf of the producer, David Williams, I'm your host, Patty Daly. Have yourself a safe, fun, happy day. We'll talk in the morning. Bye-bye.